What's up everyone? Welcome to the Tier 1 Podcast, I'm your host as always and today I was lucky enough to be joined by uh, Michael O'Hare who is a Michelin star uh, chef owning the Man Behind the Curtain in Leeds. You might also know him from the Great British Menu um, if you've watched him on there and what a pleasure it was, he's such an interesting guy. you know, uh, well, you'll get to hear the conversation and, and where it went. I think one of the biggest takeaways for me was just the amount of attention to detail he pay- he pays to oh, everything. When you hear him talk about the kind of things he's thinking about, uh, even listening to it back, and especially at the time of when he was telling me, just it blew my mind. And it drew a lot of parallels for me um, about the two years I spent in in training with the Royal Marines and um, I was I was lucky enough this weekend as well to go out walking in the Lake District with a friend of mine who's a former Royal Marine and I was talking a bit about the interview with him and he you know, kind of reminded me that uh, a question I asked Michael was what's the difference between a, a good chef and a, and a great chef and uh, my friend uh, when we were out walking kind of reminded me that that's often the difference is attention to detail, and it's made me think about how I can pay more, you know, attention to the things I do. How can I do the podcast better? How can I do my jiu-jitsu better? Work better? And yeah, it's it made me think a lot. So I hope you really enjoy the episode. Um, thank you, Michael. Welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for thanks for coming on. Thank it's you. A, so it's really exciting to have you. Really, I've not had any kind anyone with any kind of. Um, I guess bigger profile, like been on TV or anything. Had some really interesting people. Uh, I, don't know, I could probably tell you about them, but it, it kind of defeats the purpose of the show. Listen to it, I guess. <laughs> um, so usually I start these off with talking about where you're from and that kind of thing. And you're from up north near, near Middlesbrough. Were you born yeah. in Middlesbrough? Born, well, born Middlesbrough. Um, lived Middlesbrough to like well outside of Middlesbrough, like Eston, in between Middlesbrough and the coast, Redcar. Um, and lived there until I was like 18, until I went away to university. And then, yeah, flew the nest, been back a few times, but yeah, I don't get back so much now, you know, with work commitments and things like that. Right. Like, it turns out the closer I am to Middlesbrough, the less I visit it. <laughs> okay. You know, because right, yeah, I, yeah. I still see my mom, I still see my dad, they'll come yeah. see me. And, um, I don't get up too much. Right. Yeah, well, what, um, what was life like growing up for you? I mean, Middlesbrough, I guess traditionally quite quite a rough city in a, in a way my mum's from Middlesbrough but she's from a very nice part of Middlesbrough uh, near Stewart's Park so uh, it's not a nice part is it not yeah, is it, it the park's nice <laughs> no it is um, I, I don't know man like you know you only know what you know when you're growing up right mm. and um, my life was far from rough I need to throw it out there like um, I'm not necessarily from a privileged background but um, my mother and her family always had their own business as a florist and my dad was a welder so like we're still working class but we were never really struggling or stuck yeah I always had a roof over my head we always had a decent car um I never wanted for anything yeah so I can't say that like I had this weird impoverished like rough background because I absolutely didn't right um and in honesty I don't think like maybe you see things differently when you look back on your childhood but I just don't think Middlesbrough is that rough. There are parts that are definitely like in dire need of like knocking down and starting again. And mm. there's there's a job problem and there's all these things. 
but I don't think that, man, I'm, I'm 37 year old. Like, I don't think at the time that I was growing up in Middlesbrough, things were bad. I know that um, from a very, very early age, like six, seven, I could, no, that's, yeah, maybe seven. I could like, I could leave my house on my own, get on my BMX, you know, buzz around my mate's <laughs> yeah, yeah, house, a like couple of streets away. Yeah, do the stuff that normal kids do. Not on an estate. I lived on a high street. Right. Um, right. Or a main road. Mm. And be able to go to my friend's house and there was no trouble. There was like, you know, I don't want to bring it down, but there was no fear of paedophilia. There was no fear of like abduction, um, anything like that. Yeah. Um, and we never really got into any trouble. Like, nasty trouble. Yeah, yeah. Um, There was no like... We didn't see much in like drugs. I think glue sniffing was the biggest thing that right. went, went on there, <laughs> but not from me. Um, were you yeah. a pretty good kid? Like, were you good at school and stuff? Did you? Like, yeah, I, I was. I was all right. You can always be better, right? Um, and I wasn't the smartest kid in the school, but I wasn't the dumbest. Mm. You know, um, disappointingly average, I guess. Maybe a bit, a bit above average, but I, I didn't try very hard at school. Yeah. Um, I just I'd never wanted it, right? Um, it didn't it didn't interest me, and certain subjects still don't interest me now. Um, but I didn't I didn't try as hard as maybe I should. I came out with all my GCSEs and everything, and I've always winged it in exams and done all right. Yeah. Like I've always passed everything, but um, yeah, not not naughty by any right any stretch yeah. of the word. What did you want to be when you were growing up? Um, I don't know. Um, it like kind of. My dad would say that, like, I went through fads. Everything was like a fad. And it, it's true, like, even to today, I can, like, get into something and just obsess over it. And I'd do the same thing when I was a kid, you mm. know? So, like, I'm not saying I want to be a wrestler, but you watch wrestling and it's like, right, okay. From now on, it's wrestling. Yeah. Karate was one for me. Karate Kid oh, really? came out and I was like, I want to be mint at karate. That's, yeah. like, my goal. I did one lesson, maybe two lessons. All right. Followed the suit and then, like, spilt some <laughs> pen on it and didn't go back. Um, and then it move on to the next thing. Like, then it's, like, football. Football always comes in and out, I guess. But, you know, or, or basketball or American football or a bit of pilot. Um, aerospace is always something that I want to do. I thought, like, a pilot was just the coolest job. Right. Like, to be in the Navy yeah. as a pilot, like Top Gun. Yeah, yeah. I just thought that was like the sickest thing you could do. Where do you think that came from? Literally Top Gun. Oh, right. Like, so yeah, hundred percent watching Top Gun, <laughs> thinking that's like that's someone's life. Yeah. Like I know it's a movie, but that is actually someone's life. You said Kenny Loggins in the background all the time. Yeah, just. I mean that's my life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's me on the way, David Lloyd. But like, yeah, you know, I um, I think it's interesting to think about what you could be doing. And maybe from a defeatist point of view, thinking how many people have got it like better than you, like you and I, uh, you know, are in this this studio in Leeds today, but somebody somewhere is on a beach with a light beer, so, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And somebody else is in a khaki green overall, getting into a jet fighter, going upside down. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I was yeah. like, oh, that's sick. Um, so I always wanted to do that. And then um, I did that at college and at university. Um, but then it was just so maths heavy that I dropped out mm. um, and just fell into cooking that way, thankfully. But yeah, I think like, if anything, I would have liked to have been a pilot, but not like... like Not like a commercial pilot? No, that's just like a bus driver, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Like, it's not cool at all. <laughs> it's like I think called it, Airbus or something. Yeah, it used to be <laughs> like, you know, um, 
working on an airline, being a pilot or a co-pilot or anything like that, like used to look so, so cool. Um, what was that? that you ever see that TV show, Pan Am? Or something like that, where it was like back in the 60s, mm. and you see like the Pan American Air Hostesses okay. and, and the pilots, and you think your lifestyle's amazing. Right. But now it's like, no, it's Ryanair and a bus driver. Yeah. Like, no yeah. offense to any pilots or all like that, but it is just, I think the glamour of aviation's like died a long time ago. Um, so I didn't fancy that. But it's a weird one because like, I'd probably get sick of it. Yeah. It's not a particularly creative job, is it, being a pilot? You just mm. So was it were you thinking about like RAF or, or like the fleet air arm in the Navy or something? Um yeah, I was I mean I was a kid, right? So I was just thinking about uniforms. I was just like I was thinking about a fur <laughs> Which, leather jacket. What colour looks best <laughs> on you? <Yeah. laughs> I was I was thinking I quite like the fur leather jacket, Chippy, the long Yeah, biggles. <laughs> like a, a scarf. Um so I wasn't like I didn't push it any, like I went to um what do you call it? Uh, Royal Navy Careers Day thing, mm. and I just thought it looked rubbish. And that, like the big flaw in um, in me being in the armed forces is that like I don't believe in war. Right. I don't want to shoot anyone. I don't want anyone to shoot me. I definitely don't want to go to war for anyone. So like, what is yeah. the point in that job? It's just buzzing about in an airplane, right? Yeah. Sorry, man. So that's what it was like growing up in Middlesbrough. <laughs> did, you, did you have brothers and sisters? Or? No, only child. Yeah. yeah. And did you make? I mean, was it? Were you close with, did you have like best friends growing up that kind of simulated that sibling role? Or? I don't know. I mean, people say like, it's my pet hate is that an only child is spoiled. I hate it. Mm. Um, it's like such a touchy thing. I don't feel like I was spoiled. I mean, I know that like I received as much love as I possibly could from, from my mo- definitely from my mother and, and from my father and outside of that. But um, I never wanted, I never felt lonely ever. Right. And um, I have, I live with siblings, you know, I, I live, I have two stepdaughters. Um, right. And I watch them fight. Mm. And I've seen um, other siblings fight. And I've never like, I've never argued like that, mm. ever. Not that they're not rough and violent, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I, I don't know, as an only child, it's made me kind of a quite passive, I think. Like I just, yeah. I wouldn't, you know, if if we were to have an argument, I just I just back down. I don't really care. Mm. Whereas I think siblings can really go for each other, and like, yeah, there's love, but for the most part, you're not getting on. Yeah, you know, as a percentage in the day, you're just not getting on. Um, and it, it was a more of a motivator for me, probably without well, definitely without knowing it, is that there was no one at home apart from my parents who were like old. They weren't old parents, but yeah, you're not going to hang out with your parents, are you? Even at like eight, but like next door, but one, there's a kid that's your age. You're going to play football in the front garden, or you can go swimming, or you can do whatever, or like put dog poo on the end of a stick and throw it. You know, Mm. I'm I'm quite interested in sibling dynamics because I've two brothers and a sister, and um, I always think, well, my oldest, (coughs) and I guess if you're an only child, you kind of got to find your own way and your own path, and maybe be a bit more adventurous. Whereas I know definitely for me. Like I'd always pick up the things that my brothers was doing. I'd like his music. And yeah, like, where do you where do you land in that? Like, are you the youngest? Oh, so uh, technically in the middle. So my I've got an older half brother, a foster brother. Um, well, he passed away earlier this year, but um, oh, sorry, man. He was a year older than me, and then I've got my younger sister, who's a year younger than me. Uh, sorry, okay. my bro- foster brother, a year older than me. My sister's a year younger than me. Kind of in the middle. Um. So yeah, I guess my sister and me were, were incredibly different um, 
socially like she's a social butterfly she's going out she, she's just moved down to london and she's like loves all that kind of scene but for me i'm just like i'm keeping to myself like you know doing you know, martial arts and that kind of thing and, but we're very similar in that we have almost identical sense of humors yeah i know i have some of the biggest arguments like you say is, is with the people you kind of love and stuff growing up because otherwise you wouldn't care would you would yeah exactly see, exactly um it doesn't it doesn't really matter to you and uh yeah, so I, I don't know. I get really interested by my Yeah, it's, it's an impossible comparison because uh, you can't, you just can't experience life either way. You know, or both yeah. ways, should I say. Yeah. Um, I know that, like, my cousins, they were, like, brother and sister. And every all my cousins are three years apart on both sides. Right. So, like, you get to see just totally different people. Um, and they just, I just thought they hated each other. Mm. I mean, they don't now, but they're 40 and 43. But I, honestly, I think it's only the last like five or six years that that's been like, I would say like a, a genuinely loving, heartfelt relationship and no right. animosity, no like. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've, I've not had that. Yeah. Um, but it's quite an interesting one because um, I've got um, a baby boy. And he's got two half sisters. So um, my partner's got two children from a previous marriage, but they're like uh, fifteen and twelve now, okay, respectively. Yeah. And he's eighteen months, so he's kind of going to be like a little bit in the middle there because mm. he's got siblings, but the age gap is so big, yeah, that like when you get to what an age of making memories at like six. They're like 18. Be moving out. Yeah, exactly. So 18 and 20, whatever. Yeah. That's why I failed my pilot's course because I was mad. But like, <laughs> um, yeah, they're just, well, they're adults then at that point. Yeah. And he's like a child, child. So he'll, it's a middle ground of like not being an only child and a little bit being an only child because yeah. the other two aren't children anymore. That'd be interesting. Mm. Yeah. Um, I did a little bit of research on the background and stuff. But I didn't want to do too much because I wanted to be a bit more of an organic kind yeah, of conversation. Yeah. But I heard you did um, ballet when you were growing up as well. Yeah, uh, like I just fell in that. It's so weird. Um, now, before, where did you do it? Because my mum actually used to teach ballet in Middlesbrough. Uh, Amanda McGlynn. No, she was Miss Wilson's in Nunthorpe. All right, okay. Um, but that would have been a weird one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it would have been so good. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, how old were you when you started? Um, I think 10 or 11. No, 11. I started dancing when I was 10. It's so like when you're going into like high school and that kind of age. Yeah, exactly. Oh, is that senior school? Yeah. 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 yeah so like, um, I can't remember the reason, but I was in a car with uh, my best friend at the time. And we were going to pick up his sister and she was going for an audition for this um, show, The Wizard of Oz. At Middlesbrough General, uh, that's the Austin <laughs> Middlesbrough, Little Theatre, Middlesbrough. And, um, we got there and we were just waiting around for it and they didn't have enough boys. It was like the Wizard of Oz wanted munchkins and that. So they asked us, like me and Daniel, if we'd be in it. And like, we're like, you know, 10-year-old ten, ten boys and just at the on the precipice of being interested in girls. Right. And then there's just all these like dancers in leotards. <laughs> and they're like, do you want to play? And we're like, yeah, fuck it. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's um, good. It's fine. Fuck all. Fuck cock balls. Yeah, so so that happened. So we got into like this show, and then the majority of of people that were in that, the majority majority of girls that were in that, went to this dance school. So we would then go and do drama at that school, and that was on a Saturday for a couple of hours. And then I got the football game afterwards. 
And then that lasted like a couple of months and it becomes, um, I, get no, I guess, not dissimilar to the gym or anything where it becomes like addictive. You can always do more. Right. So then there's another class on and maybe you should do modern dance. Maybe you should do tap. Maybe you should do jazz. Maybe you should do ballet. And then mm. before I knew it, I was there six days a week, six nights a week around wow. school. And that lasted until, well, my entire senior school um, to the point where I, I did modern dance at A level for the first year. And then, but I had like this really weird contrast in life in that um, I like playing football. I like going out drinking, um, you know, not too laddish, but a bit laddish. Mm. And then this quite like, I wouldn't say camp, but you know what I mean? Like the the dance and theatre and all that, it was a bit, a bit strict and a bit disciplined. Yeah. And, like, the last thing you want when you're 16 and 17 is to be told what to do. Of course. And, like, when you're told, like, oh, you shouldn't play football, your hamstrings will get tight, this is happening, that's happening. And I was like, oh, bollocks to it, you know. Like, I don't even care. It's not really a job, you know. Yeah. Not really for me. I didn't think I was, like, good enough that I could ever, like, be the best at that. Um, so I just went back, picked picked up a prospectus, and I was like, okay, next year I'm doing aerospace. Right. I'm going back to that Top Gun thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, you must learn a lot, like, just... I know just doing something difficult, you end up learning loads about yourself, I find. Like, did you find you became more disciplined through doing ballet, or was it something that you just did because it was one of those things you got obsessed with? Um, it wasn't, like, exclusive to ballet. I think that... I think the emphasis is always put on ballet because it's, like the most dramatic thing to say do you okay. know what I mean but it was just dance in just general dance. yeah I mean I, I did ballet classes but I did ballet as much as I did tap and right. so, um, yeah I don't know if you ever really learn things about yourself you know or you just then that's how you are mm. because you're definitely being taught something aren't you so to learn something about yourself I think is a weird concept because you either knew it or you didn't know it um I guess you know likes and dislikes, you know, how you want to be treated. Yeah. You know, how you like to be spoke to, how you perform best. Um, but I, do, I don't know if at that age, there was too much going on with like puberty and and everything that comes with that to like me have any spiritual kind of like connection with, with, with ballet or anything, you yeah. know. Um, and it was it was too young. Right. But yeah, I mean, still, if you're going uh, six times a week, you must have got pretty good, right? Yeah, like, I enjoyed it. Um, and we'd do shows and stuff like that, but then I'm not really... There wasn't a clear reason why I ever started doing that. Mm. And I think that can happen with quite a lot of people, is that you fall into things, and before you know it, you've been doing it for a hell of a long time, and you don't even know why you started doing that. Right, just do you what know, we do now. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, what, because there was like... Um, because there were some girls that were like marginally attractive when you were 11 year old yeah. and in a leotard and you could see like some slightly swollen areolas or something <laughs> and as like a, a nearly teenage boy you're just going daft for it um, because that was happening it like changes the course of your life changes your college course you're now like a year behind it right. at college in theory because I, I, I dropped out yeah. you know um, I'm really sorry man I'll just switch that off it's all good Um, sorry about that yeah where were we um, we're just kind of finishing up oh getting good on something yeah uh, 
Yeah, I mean, when now you changed to do the aerospace stuff. Yeah. How long did that last? Um. Again, that kind of fell in and out. So, like, I st- I did two years at college, then I went to university, and I didn't even last that school year, that first school year at university. I was in a kitchen in January. Oh, started right. in September. I was in a kitchen in January. Where did you go to uni? Kingston, in London. Okay, oh, that's a bit quite quite a far. <coughs> yeah, I made a mistake, man. It's like <coughs> it was it was too in. Sorry, can I just clear my throat? Yeah, go. <coughs> I made a mistake with like my university choice because I just I picked it because I thought that sounds cool. You know, like mm. to go to that university sounds cool, um, but it was so so like international. Um, and because of the course that I was doing, there was elements and like sections of that that you didn't actually need to speak English to be able to do that. So like in my maths class, I was sat next to this girl and I thought, "It's the rudest bitch in the world. She didn't speak to me like ever. Right. And I was like, why are you speaking to me? And like, yeah. I, and, you know, I'm not trying to, I just want to speak someone yeah. like, and then I heard in the corridor and she's like completely Russian. Um, and it's just, that's the maths element right. that she's doing and stuff like that. And, Whereas if I'd have gone to like Salford University or something like that in Manchester, which was the closest one doing that course, then maybe I'd have made um, made some friends easier, um, which maybe made me stick it out longer. But the fact that I couldn't yeah. um, just meant that I was sat sat at home, kind of like twiddling my thumbs until my housemates came back, and we were all in different courses. It was no like it was never ever going to work. I had nowhere near enough discipline to get that course done on my own. Right. And you say you kind of got into food <coughs> around that time, like into more cooking. Yeah, so like that's that's the first time um, I was out out of the house. The first time that I wasn't. I don't know how it works in your house or how it did work in your house when you were a kid. Do you still live at home. Yeah, I'm still back at home. Yeah. So like, um, who's the cook there? Uh, my mum definitely. Like to the hundred percent as a. Uh, it's a bit weird. Though, we kind of do. <coughs> our, she'll cook now and again, but we usually we kind of just sort our own stuff out. Yeah. Um, so like last night she made a good lasagna. I don't usually eat pasta, but if my mum's making lasagna, yeah, call but... me Garfield. Paint <laughs> 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 me orange. <laughs> um, but yeah, you see, my mum would be like the main cook, definitely. And I think like, well, I know that it was my mum and dad, but it was definitely never me. And there's only three of us in the house. <coughs> Sorry, man, I got to stop smoking. So when um when I went to London, when I went to uni. You can only have KFC for so many days. Right, yeah. And, like, I actually wanted to cook. I wasn't scared of it. I wasn't scared of it when I was at home. It wasn't like I didn't know what was going on. I just didn't really fancy it. Yeah. Like, why would you? It takes, even now, cooking at home, so boring. I don't know why anyone does it. It's a lot of effort. <laughs> it's, well, it's so much effort for yeah. so little reward. Mm. And it's like, you said your mum made lasagna last night. Like, if she'd have made lasagna for two of you or made lasagna for 20 of you, it's the same amount of effort. But when you make it for 20, there's so much reward. Right. You make it for two, it's like, it's not worth it, is it? It took me an hour. It took you five minutes to devour it. And then, like, the washing up and everything that goes with it, it's just a waste of time. Um, and I think, like, I'm spoiled with that because of a professional kitchen, because you can produce to a lot of people yeah. and get a lot more reward for it rather than, and you've got everything, like, there, you know what I mean? You need to go to the shop. You want a kitchen. It's nice. Yeah, Every, you've, you've got a fridge. Everything's there. Yeah. <laughs> you just pick up the phone. Someone brings you it. So it was those early days of cooking. Like, do you? What would you like? Go to meal be just for dinner? Oh, uh, like crap, man, crap. So, um, like pasta with a jar of sauce 
Do you know what I mean? Like Lloyd Grossman's type. Yeah, exactly. Or Paul Newman sources, because I like Paul Newman. He's cool, isn't he? I think he's one of the coolest guys in the world. Was. Um, Yeah, Paul Newman sauce. Um, Or I'd do like, I'd get some fish and a baker and it'd be all right. Um, But I just kind of like doing it. And then my mate, one of my mates from Middlesbrough, he was a chef. And like, he had a life. He was earning money. It wasn't great. It was like, I think he was on like 16 grand a year or something like that. But he was on 16 grand a year. He was my age. He was driving a car that he paid for. Mm. And I was like spending money that wasn't mine. At university is expensive. It's a joke. It's an absolute ripoff. So I was almost like minus earning money and he was positive. Had a girlfriend and a lifestyle, and I thought that's so much better. And for like your day job, rather than like doing all this maths and you're just cooking food, that's nice. I kind of want to do that. And um, and at that time as well, I can't say that I was influenced by Jamie Oliver. I wasn't, but it was like I think the birth of popular food programs. All right. You know, like that's when Jamie Oliver, Two Fat Ladies, Gordon Ramsay, all those came to light. Around about that time, obviously they had careers before that, but I think that's when the boom happened. When yeah. it's like you can't get, like you can't move for cooking shows on TV now. It's stupid. Yeah. Um, so I wasn't I wasn't cooking particularly great food, and I wasn't cooking particularly great food for a few years after that when I was a chef. You know. When did it become like really passionate for you? Like when did it? When was it? Was there ever like a switch point where you're like, oh man, I can get really good at this, or or did that just kind of creep up on you? Or? I, th- I think that creeps up on you. I think, like, the longer you do anything, um, the better you are at it. And I think a cooking's a difficult thing to quantify how good you are at it. Mm. Like, it's not a sport, so you can't win. And I could, like, I could train my palate for days and days and days and days and weeks and weeks and years and years to have this perfect palate. But then what happens when I cook for you and you haven't been eating like that? Then it's going to taste weird. So it's, be- you know what I mean? It, yeah. So it's it's almost like um, you've got to have the ability to cook for for the palates of the people that are eating the food, not like your dream palate. So like, I, right. I, I, does that make any sense? Yeah. How do you anticipate that? Like, Well, just by living a normal lifestyle, right? So like um, when, I, when I worked in Denmark, I ate no garlic, I had no ketchup and I had no sugar for three months. Like, as in... You just didn't use that at all? Not from Helsing's banned. Okay. Um, Anything that wasn't produced in Denmark was banned in this restaurant. Don't eat it. Um, And then I came back. And it's unbelievable. Have you ever done, like, a juice diet? I've juiced before, not not on a full, like, juice diet. A juice diet is the best... um, best description or the, the closest resemblance to doing like to, to training your palate in a certain direction okay. is because you're, you're drinking or you're consuming only those things so I did a juice diet once and it, like I can't recommend it but at the end of it I had this goal of like when I finish this I'm going to have a curry right. and I just built this curry up in my head to be so so beautiful but it was absolutely disgusting it was so sweet and it was sickly and it was fatty and it was horrible and because I just wasn't used to eating that that mm. kind of food. Right. And I think the same thing goes, you know, if you live on um, on particularly acidic foods um, and then you start eating um, Chinese cooking, 
it's it's too sweet, it's too sickly, it's too sticky, you know? Right. Um, but I think that if you eat the right foods and the best foods, you know, so I'm guessing you eat steak, right? I'm veggie, actually. Are you actually? Yeah, yeah. Are you really? Yeah, yeah. What about that lasagna? That was a corn lasagna. Oh, man. <laughs> Why are we even here? Are you really? How long have you been a vegetarian? I've never eaten meat. Have you actually? Yeah, yeah. It's raised veggie. Yeah. Okay. Have I disappointed you? Know? <laughs> no, you haven't disappointed. I don't mind vegetarianism. Um, I think you eat what you want, right? Um, I'm not preachy, right? Like, I've, I'll, I've killed a chicken before by, my, like, bare hand. Like, uh, I was in the Marines for uh, two years. And oh, really? They do an exercise where called Hunter's Moon. It's like a survival exercise. And in that, like, you get put into groups of four. And um, one, you get a, a, given a chicken and, mm-hmm. like, uh, some fish to you know, go and that kind of thing. And um, the guy that was teaching us how to do it, the mountain leader, was like, right, there's a vegetarian in this troop. Raise your hands. <laughs> I'm like, oh, fuck, it's me. <laughs> it's like, You're killing this chicken first. <laughs> I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah, so it was. But um, what I was going to say is, I think if I would eat meat, I, I would definitely consider it, but I'd want to hunt and kill the animal myself, like I did. Well, I didn't hunt, hunt that chicken at all, but I'd want to have that kind of connection to it. And Out of interest, why? It's similar to, you know, before we did the podcast, you were talking about Joe, we were talking a bit about Joe Rogan's podcast. He goes out and hunts his own meat. I think it. I know, like, if I'm um, hunting a deer, for instance, mm-hmm. it's had, it's a, you know, a wild animal rather than it's being kept in a, a cage or some kind of boundary. It's not being given any antibiotics. And it's kind of got more of a chance to, to live in a way. Like, it's going to require some kind of skill and discipline from me to be able to find this animal and, and shoot it, whether that's like a, a rifle or a bow or however you do it. And I think you've got to have that, connection to what you eat I think a lot of times people don't really think about what they're eating um I don't think about what I'm eating not really um because I don't really understand uh, morality on that level mm. um bear in mind that like without blood I have a Michelin star chef I don't eat like you know oh, battery see. chickens I don't yeah, eat yeah. shit like I spend my life sourcing the best possible ingredients I can. Um, but I think, I think there's a lot of like, there's a lot of crap forced on people about organic food, about um, connections. And, it, and it's true that people should understand, um, you know, how, how, how animals should be tracked. That they should, but that, that's something that's almost out of your control, right? Yeah. To a degree. In that um, you go and do that, you, you put your hat on and, and you come on, you go and kill your deer, and that's great, but you don't know what you're doing with that deer. As far as what you're doing afterwards, you don't know how to treat that, you don't know how to look after that, you don't know how to butcher that. Um, and neither does Joe Public, and why should you? And yeah. um, I, know that, I know that a car has um, no feelings, and no, like life, it's just an inanimate object. But a car was made by someone that knows how to make a car better than I know how to make a car. Yeah. So I could, you could argue that okay, I don't, I don't buy um, clothes from China uh, because I'm scared of child labour and this, that, and the other. I don't like the ideas of those. Therefore, I'm going to make all my own clothes. But it is possible to just find someone else to make those clothes for you. And in a smaller community, 
if um, if you and I were really good mates and I made clothes and you knew that it was totally legit, mm. you would just come to me for clothes. Likewise, yeah. if I was a farmer and I had deer, which I put down humanely and I didn't miss, I, you know, yeah. I killed every time, then you could eat that better than almost you hunting it yourself. And I think if you extend upon that far enough, then you've got modern society. That's 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 already where we're at. Um, it's it's very it's very difficult to to be cruel to animals. I think today, and I don't think they should be. You know what I mean? I'm not saying like no. it's hard work, but for an animal cruelty thing, no one. The only reason it ever happens is for money, right? Right. That's the only reason. Like chickens, it's not to like oh look at those chickens squashed. Yeah, yeah. But because the because free range, because organic's popular, there's more sense in having that. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's, people yeah. I mean, is it even possible to buy an egg that isn't free range now? I don't know if it is. Don't think so. Not I, think like I've been in the supermarket and seen an egg that isn't free, and that's a great thing, yeah. right? But um, and obviously there's mate. This isn't me having a go at you about being veg- vegetarian. No, you know, I mean, you you yeah. eat whatever you want, but I, <clears throat> I think it's. Um, it's part of life that, for me, that things die, including humans. And if someone wants to come and some monster wants to come and eat me and chew me up, fuck it. What can I do about it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. It just happens that we're at the, you know, top of the food chain or whatever, however you want to say it. Um, that that doesn't happen, but it is part of life. And we had a conversation at the restaurant yesterday about um, killing uh, spiders. Mm. And I. Do you kill spiders? I don't, but I'm sure there's loads of stuff I do kill. Like you know, uh, you, you definitely have a value system on different life. Don't yeah, you? Ex- ex- exactly right. Um, so we were talking about like actual killing, like people killing each other, and then um, people killing animals, and then like what is acceptable and what isn't acceptable, and where does that, um, where does that, where's that line? Yeah, um, because insect is definitely like. For most people, fair game, right? Just kill it. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's quite a weird thing because that just means because of the size of that, it's okay to kill it. Mm. Well, that's just a, such a weird metric, isn't it? Yeah, because that would be like, that would be like yeah. it's almost like saying murder's okay as long as it's a child. Do you know, you <laughs> yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. It's a, as long as it's under two foot. It's dwarf, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, it, it's quite a weird thing. But then mm. when I kill a spider, and quite often not like... Everyone in my house is scared of spiders, right. apart from me. So sometimes I'll kill it and I'll eat it in front of them, <laughs> just to like prove a point that they're not scary, <laughs> and because I'd literally eat anything. It doesn't taste nice and I feel sick afterwards, but it's just fun. It was worth it to get that. Yeah, just to get <laughs> reaction. that reaction. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but for the most part, when insects are killed, they're not eaten mm. for like the vast majority of times. Yeah. Um, so I just, I just think, you know. The, the life of that insect was irrelevant, just like my life is irrelevant, just like your life is irrelevant. Um, and uh, my dad, um, game's an interesting one. My dad's a, a game shooter and um, like very much about that life, do you know what I yeah. mean? Like tweed and all that. All right. <laughs> um, so I don't know the facts, I'm just going to make up numbers. Yeah. But every year um, they build new, fresh pens and they get, they pay for in advance X amount of birds, let's say 4,000. 4,000 pheasants go and live in these different things in the hills in North Yorkshire. They go up every night, they feed them, they check the pen, 
they look up for foxes. And these pheasants would simply not exist. They would never have been born were it not for game shooting. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. They wouldn't, they wouldn't be born because they were like bred to order in advance, mm. a year in advance. Next year, I'm going to want X amount of these. And I'm going to go into this pen and I'm going to look after them. So these creatures, these animals that would never have had life, never known life, were it not for that support of the thing that's going to kill it, yeah, are then cared for and respected by the people who are going to shoot it and eat it. Mm. Yeah, I think if you asked any protester about, like, game shooting, it's a no-go, right? Like, that's the worst thing you can do. That's, yeah. like, fascism almost. But of the, as a percentage of the birds that go into that pen, some will die, some will be eaten by foxes, some will just not survive. But not all will be shot. Some will go away in the wild. But if, you know, if they live for, like, I don't know, a year, 18 months, whatever... They would never have lived before that. It's quite nice, right? Yeah. Like, I've enjoyed my life so far. If someone said to me, like, Truman Show thing, you can live, but you can only live till you're 37, and then we're going to press the button, or you can not live at all. I'd pick live till 37. Yeah. Every day, it's mint. Yeah. I think it's hard to come from veganism or vegetarian from an ethical standpoint and be... Um, I think it's hard to still do that nowadays. Like, like you're saying, from an you know, animal rights perspective. Yeah. I think... The way you mentioned about hunting as well, I had a similar conversation with a guy um, from, uh, well, it's my friend from Marines from South Africa, though, he's done quite a bit of hunting. And, uh, you know, it's a lot of that hunting that will pay for conservation as well. Yeah, and yeah. Anti-poaching and even trophy hunting and that kind of thing. And it's got layers to everything, doesn't it? And it's, yeah. it's not as simple as, oh, you can't kill that animal or... Even if you are trying to be like vegan, almost everything you do will have a cost to life. If you look at a massive you know, combine tractor, tractor harvesting a load of wood, yeah. how many like small rodents and stuff like that will get turned up in that as well? Like yeah, hundred percent. And then you then you've got things that um, what doesn't really exist um, is like eating with morality. And, and by that, I mean, there's so many cuts of meat that, you know, how many people like the steaks? And then liver, not so much, but we can get there, kidneys, heart, um, you know, and you go into offcuts. What about veal? So much of, like, animals that we might kill getting wasted, is it? Yeah, being shipped off to France. Mm. Um, now, this is, this is a mental thing. We don't make our stocks in-house anymore because of the... Um, we're in a basement now, so it has to be made outside. Can't leave the, you know, the uh, pans running overnight. Okay. But when we did, we'd use veal bones. Now, we're buying British veal bones from France. All right. What? Why? So a cow's born primarily for dairy. If it's not female, it's no good. It's veal. Yeah. We don't eat veal. You can't sell veal, really, in a supermarket. Mm. It's considered cruel. It's cruel to eat that. But otherwise, it's dead. It's worthless, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Or it's been sold to France where it's got a value. Or to the continent. So that, that meat then goes to France. It's butchered and it's sold throughout France. And the small portion's kept in England. But the majority of the bones are still in France. Right. So... you got to so, buy a book. Yeah. So that cow was born in, in Yorkshire... Born the wrong gender, raised a little bit, 
shot, or, you know, or killed, <laughs> and then shipped off to France in a truck to be butchered, chopped up its bones into a box, frozen, and shipped back to England on another truck. Why don't we just eat veal? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And what, what is it about it that's... Because from my perspective, I have no idea about meats or anything. Okay, baby cow. For a cow. long time, I thought um, gammon was a fish. <laughs> Honestly, I was, I, was, like I, was, I was already working at a restaurant for a while before I realised. <laughs> Do you think the fried eggs are its eyes? <laughs> um, what is it? What about certain meats? Yeah, why? Why? Why is veal? Why? Why do you think there is this stigma not to eat it? I don't. I don't know. There's a stigma not to eat loads of things, and um, what I really like, really fucking hate, is that when people come into the restaurant. And they say things like, oh, you know, we never eat food like this, but we thought we'd give it a try. Um, I would never order this, that and the other. And I just think, why the fuck not? This isn't like, you know, that my restaurant, fine dining restaurants were never meant, never intended to have any shock value for the product that you're eating, right? So, right. like, if you eat veal sweetbreads or throat glands, um, I pay more for them than I do for a fillet of beef. Prize cut. Okay, all right. Um, but it's not. But there's like a. But there's a stigmatism of like, oh, sweetbreads. Yeah. Oh, it's a bit like eating a dick. Well, it's not like eating a dick, is it? It's delicious, and right. it's just meat off an animal, and it's been selected because it's delicious, not because it's a bit like eating a dick, Cause it, yeah. or because it's weird, or yeah. so you can tell your friends, or so you can nearly retch when you eat it. It's just like normal food, and the, the parameters of like what's acceptable to eat is is so tight, so tiny. Um, that I think people, and this isn't yourself, you've obviously grown up vegetarian, but people are turned off meat, yet are still meat eaters. Mm. And what I mean by that is that how many 16-year-olds today will want to eat veal or eat chicken nuggets? How many want to eat chicken breast over chicken thigh? The chicken breast is like the one, right? And that's good. But the ch- or chicken heart's not touching it. Um so in a way they're they're meat eaters, but really they're only eating five percent of what meat. Yeah, you know. exactly. Um, you're a meat eater, but you're not getting the benefit of eating, of enjoying all yeah. of that. Do you know what I mean? And, Other than uh, you know the nutrition, I guess. I mean, like a lot of alpha pack animals, don't they? They go straight like a bear or a, like an alpha wolf when they make a kill, they go straight for the liver. And yeah, they'll eat that, and then the rest can go. Because that's like the most nutrient dense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So like, so it's good for the diet, but I think I think more so it's just good for the mindset, isn't it? To like, if you don't eat meat, if you don't eat fish, if you don't eat dairy, that all these things are fine, and they're so. I would rather stand side by side with a vegan than someone that said, "Oh, I like steak, but I don't like the fatty bits on it." Mm. Do you know what I mean? I'd rather eat with a vegan. It's more like hip- hypocritical. Yeah, it? just or spoiled. I just think right. fucking eat it. Yeah. Like, how do you know you don't like it? You're just telling yourself that you don't like it. Mm. Um, I think that's the biggest problem with with meat eating, with fish eating, is that people are like squeamish with it. Well, why? And uh, we allow people to be babies for so long when it comes to food. Yeah. And even babies, we we're like, why can't a baby eat salmon? Why can't a baby eat this and the other? can right surely I mean I'm not going to start giving the, my, my kid sea urchin or anything like that right. although he has had it but I didn't like it um, 
<laughs> you know, kids should be kids. No one wants like a gastronomic like kid, right? Kids a kid needs to be a kid. A kid needs to eat beans and these kind of things. But I think to a degree, a kid shouldn't ever be freaked out by food. The only reason a kid's freaked out by food, I think, is because there's like pressure put on it that, oh, that's actually quite a weird thing that you're eating. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I remember as a kid, I didn't eat chili con carne for years. Why? Because I just thought it'd be really spicy. Because <laughs> I thought kidney beans would be like... Little, little yeah, blow your tits off. Um, and the only the only time I ate, my mum, it was like, mum cooked a lot with mince. Right. Like a lot. Um, the only time I would, um, sorry, Matt, I've got an itchy nose. I'm not on cocaine. Um, yeah, the only time I, like, I actually got to eat it was um, Christmas time, around that Christmas time. And we used to sell Christmas trees. And um, I got in like the flower van with my mum, and I hadn't had time for tea. So she put me some in a cup with a spoon. It was dark, so I just ate it. So, like, peppers aren't spicy. I thought they were spicy. Mm. And red kidney beans aren't spicy, but I thought they were spicy. And I was like, oh, this is delicious. So then I was like, I love chilli. Um, <laughs> been missing out. <laughs> yeah, I've been missing out completely. Yeah. Um, and we allow people to do that, right? To miss out. Yeah, we allow people to miss out. We don't push it. Do you um, feel, in a way, obligated to... You know, you say you, you don't use these kind of cuts of meat or particular types of meat for shock factor, but do you yeah. feel obligated anyway to expand people's knowledge and understand that that can be a, an option I th- for them? I think... No, I don't. And, and the reason I think that's dodgy territory is that when you're going to eat in a nice restaurant, you're not going for education, you're going for a good time, right? Mm. So it, I think it wants to be as basic as possible in terms of like how this operation works. Uh, my pet head is going somewhere and like, have you ever been here before? Let me tell you how it works. Well, do you just give me a menu and I just fucking order from it? Like everywhere I've ever been to in my life. Or, or similar, do you know what I mean? Do I ask you and you get me something? Yeah, exactly. Do I just think it and you know? <laughs> you know, as a record, it's, it's always the same. Everywhere that says that, it's always the same. But I just think, I don't know, you're going out for like, for your wedding anniversary or just for the crack and, and someone comes over and starts talking to you and giving you a speech about something and you think, oh, fuck you, man. I just want to eat and drink wine. Mm. Um, and you can do that. Also, you need to you need to presume a certain amount of of knowledge from your diners, right? Like, that they're, they're in the know. They're not stupid. They've, they're paying 110 quid for a table in your restaurant each. Like, they know what they're putting in their mouth. Yeah. Um, and I think if I was... Um, running a different operation, maybe one that wasn't 40 covers a night, maybe one that was um, a private school or something like that, then um, yes, yeah, 100%, you've got an opportunity to educate because that's part of it. But I think um, commercially mixing education into that. I think it might be something good to start kids when they're young though, like in school, maybe like on like food tech courses, having more variety and that kind of thing yeah I, I think that um, it's just a, a really strange thing that is that we haven't really developed in England enough at the, at the same rate and like if you go to like I love Spain but if you look at like classic Spanish food the snouts there's ears and this is just available anywhere right they've still got chips with ketchup and garlic mayonnaise like it's not avant-garde cooking yeah um, they've still got an omelette you know, it, or just chopped up sausages. It's fine, but there's 
you can eat these things as well. You can eat this cheek, you can eat this liver, you can eat this heart, you know. Mm. And it's just, it's part of it. Oh, I quite like eating that. I quite like eating this breast food. And likewise, in Eastern Europe, a lot of those things happen just naturally. And maybe in England, maybe we're just a little bit spoiled. Mm. Do you think that is like the culture? Yeah, I think so. I think think if you were to go to a supermarket today and just stand like by the chicken aisle and watch how many people pick up a whole chicken, how many pick up chicken breasts, and how many pick up chicken thighs, legs or wings? I think the breasts would sell... Do you? I think that's what people go for. I have no idea. Yeah, no. <laughs> what's, I'm the most what's a chicken? Ignorant, what's yeah. a fucking chicken? Um, yeah. Um, yeah, you're right. There, I can only think of you know maybe you know British and American culture where they don't where you probably wouldn't even go to like like the things you're saying like trout. I mean uh, you know snout and uh, like hoof. And that kind yeah, of exactly. Chinese love it. Yeah, delicacies. Um, and ironically, it's where the most flavour is not necessarily in the in the um, in the snout, um, but anything that like you know is close close to your mouths right. normally pretty tasty. Okay. Um, and anything that works hard as a muscle um, takes a lot more cooking. But mm. that's where your stews come from and things like that. Right. And it's always cheaper. So how do you learn this stuff? Like, is it did you end up doing a course or anything or? No, I never went to college or anything. I think you just, you know, you don't need to. Catering college is a strange one, particularly in Middlesbrough. I don't know now, so I don't want to, like, speak ill of <laughs> a Middlesbrough catering really college if there even is one. Massive fun of yours, like, Middlesbrough catering college. No, but any, any catering college, <laughs> yeah. and this, this is the thing with catering, is it's like beauty, is that, like, you can get unbelievable hairdressers, you can get unbelievable chefs, you can get unbelievable makeup artists. Incredible. But there's also a dog shit version, right. like a gutter version. Um, and unfortunately, or fortunately, I don't know how it goes, um, you don't need any qualifications at all to do catering. And you don't need any qualifications at all to do beauty, to my knowledge. So you can just drop into that, right? So if you fail school and you have to go to, or you want to because you get a bursary if you go to college, just do cooking. Mm. So then, like, it's not the tutor's fault, but the people there aren't interested. But then how interested is that tutor if he's a tutor? Right. And not a chef. And if he was a chef and now he's a tutor, how relevant is he? Yeah. So surely, like, the same thing happens in sport, right? Nobody goes to university, to my knowledge, studies sports science, comes out and signs for Man United. Right. They don't. They just go straight to Man United. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Or or they start off with Leicester or whatever, but just go to a club. Because that's where the best coaches are. And that's the same thing with restaurants, right? The best coaches are in the restaurants. So if you want to be a top chef, go to a top restaurant, work there. Right. It's easy, it's free. Yeah. It's like you get paid for doing it. You don't get that at university. Yeah. And if you commit time to it, like anyone can do it. The creativity of it, the individuality of it is something that's unique to certain people. But physically cooking, learning that, anyone, literally Mm. anyone can do it. Some better than others. Definitely anyone from um, a forces background, 100%. Because of discipline. What kind of people end up Becoming good chefs, do you think? <coughs> it's a difficult one because it's so varied, right? And it's also a subjective thing for me to say, like a good chef. Right, right, I get you. Um, so, like, a good footballer is an easy one to do, right? You just you just look. <laughs> look at that. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. But when it's something you taste and when there's an element of style involved, it comes down to what's like what you're into and, and who you like to cook for you. 
in any given situation. Mm. Um, I think I think what's important, or what's becoming more important, is that people have a life outside of the four walls of where they work, and I think that's true for any any creative. In yeah. that, like sticking yourself in a studio all day, every day for four years, if you don't see anything of life, if you don't learn anything of life, doesn't like doesn't make you a hero, right? Yeah, you're not going to produce anything great there, and I. I think that you need to understand exactly what's going on all over the world. You need to eat in your own restaurant as much as possible. You need to eat in other people's restaurants as much as possible. And you need to have the ability to step back from like running that show as, you know, cooking. Mm. Step back, show someone else how to do what you're doing so you can do something better. So you can find out what's better, so you can change things and you make make changes to it. And I think those people that have um, famously stayed in the kitchens day in, day out, well, the food, you can see it. It's exactly the same as it was 20 years ago. No yeah. one cares about it anymore. You're losing stars, you, you know. A bit like um, I've heard, you know, comedians when they get a bit successful and then they don't really understand what normal life is like for someone because they've made so much money and all their jokes become about, you know, pe- being on an aeroplane. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and well, that, that's, that's true of like um, of rap music, right? Like the right, best rap yeah. music is like street it's talking about having nothing. The worst rap music is about having everything. It's why I guess when... And you've only got yeah. a few. You've only got a few names that stand out and you could say, okay, those guys um, have been around for years. Yeah. With millions in the bank account and been around for years. Um, Do you think that's why maybe rap was so good as well in like the 90s and that kind of thing? Because well, look at Eminem. Yeah. What can Eminem sing about? Yeah. Like, like, you're not pissed off anymore, so man. <laughs> Fine. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You were right to be pissed off. That's yeah. like... Your mum fiddling with you or whatever she did. I don't know what yeah. she did. But. <laughs> it was just our rumours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> his mum fiddled with him and he's pissed off and I get it. But now he's over it because he's a multi-multi-millionaire. Yeah. Um. Do you think that's um, that ability to kind of step back and maybe have a third person's perspective on the, what they're doing, like getting outside of like, the four walls of, you know, the kitchen in this case yeah like 100% the best thing like as a restaurateur as a chef the best thing you can do is cook but whenever you're in a restaurant you become more than that and you need to be more than that mm. you need to look about every single element of how that operation works from before you even get to the building to getting in the building to the smell the temperature the, you know everything go on every mm. single detail and just analyse the shit out of it and if you if you eat and then you and you compare that to other experiences and what did you like and what did he say and what did you like about what he said or what did you hate about what he said or what about the way she walks is that weird is she limping why are her shoes too small get us new new shoes you know what I mean what if her shoes are too shit get us some better shoes mm. um, it's like problem solving in a way yeah exactly problem solving or how would this whole experience be better for me and I can't make that experience better for you I can only make it better for me I'm, I'm only an expert in my vision right I'm not an, you know what I mean yeah yeah um, is that what kind of makes from a good chef who's like solid and then like a great chef who's well I, I think everyone can have like an idea of perfection in any element right so um, all you can hope is that if you get that right if you can attain that or if you can get close to that that enough people can agree with you mm. um, so if um if you cooked Indian food, just say for example, um, 
And just your idea of perfect Indian food was so, so sweet and so creamy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And you wanted to be served in this really hot restaurant that was bright pink. Um, and you only want to serve mint tea. But I, pull, I don't know, whatever. And you just thought, that's my vision. That's how I see this working. And there'll be someone that likes that. There'll be a few people that like that, but it might not hit everyone, right? Yeah. Or you can have a vision like Nando's. Genuinely say, right, okay, we're going to do chicken and chips and sweet corn. And it's going to be bang average and everyone's going to like it because you can't dislike it unless you literally don't eat meat. Right. But then you don't even get to taste it, so it's fine. But like Nando's, great restaurant. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not a great restaurant. It's a nightmare. But like <laughs> a great restaurant in the sense that the, the vision of Nando's, no one goes to Nando's and thinks this is the perfect place on earth. But it's difficult to rip fault in it because mm. you're paying a certain amount. Yeah. And you only like a certain amount of things, and that's fine, isn't it? And then you go a little, like a demographic higher than that, and higher than that, and higher than that, and higher than that. So you get to a point of like, um, I don't want to say it without sounding snobby, but people are like really know the shit with food and drink. You know, they think, right, I'm going further than this. This is no longer a commercial venture. Yeah. I'm doing things that are making no sense commercially. I'm paying £600 for a teapot, because I want people to order a £10 fucking pot of tea to see that teapot and think, that's the best teapot I've ever seen, you know? Some handcrafted... Yeah, it's just beautiful, marbles, polished, <laughs> silver, whatever. Um, and it's not always about money. That was just an example, yeah. you know? It's not throwing money at something, but it's saying, like, if... Um, okay, if this room was your room, then what would be the perfect table? What would be the perfect shape for that table? How would it work? What would the height be? What, what about the arms? Do you, do you want arms mm. in the chairs? Do you want this, that, and the other? How do you want people to feel when they're in your restaurant? How do you want people to smell? How do you want them to look? Just a mega attention to detail. Yeah, there. exactly. Are you staring at a mirror? Can you see yourself? Do you look fat? If that person's looking fat, should we stick a light on that wall and come in sideways and just split the difference on the face so it makes them look thinner so then they feel better? And these examples, these like literally things... Yeah, they're real, you, yeah. You, well... Um, Every, every single part of it. So it goes to like such degree to the point of like, oh, you're a psycho. Do you know what I mean? I'm aware yeah. that I'm a bit of a psychopath. Um, so there's not there's not a great deal of change, but there's always a change. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Almost unnoticeable to anyone. Almost. Yeah, exactly. But but when they to me, all together, yeah, and I just think, and that's it. When I you, imagine when, to you, it's it's quite obvious to like that. It's yeah, one hundred percent. How they're not going to notice the difference? Yeah, one hundred percent. And I think that's what, you know, that all those things that I mentioned are nothing to do with food. Um, but I think a restaurant, first and foremost, is about food, right? And that I think that anything needs to be relatable in a way. Um, otherwise, like, how are you going to know it? You know, if you just have grated yam or whatever, raw, and you're not used to eating that, you're going to hate it. If you are used to eating that, there's a good and bad version of it. Right. And I, I think you can teach yourself to like anything or to tolerate anything. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if it's like when people say like, oh, I'd never eat that. But if you starve them for you know, seven days, they'll be eating it and they'll be enjoying yeah. it. <laughs> my my grandma died years ago. I can't remember. But um, she died thinking that I don't eat vegetables. I don't eat salad. Um, and all I like is mashed potato. Yorkshire puddings and gravy. Right. And mint sauce. Yeah. <laughs> and I do. That is still a pretty good meal. But um, the truth is that I didn't eat my grandma's vegetables. Not that I knew it, but subconsciously. Well, that broccoli is brown. 
those those peas are brown. Everything's overcooked. Your beef is so, so well done that it's shiny. There's a reflection to it. It's like gone silvery in the middle. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and your salad was dressed an hour ago and it's like pickle. But, you know, as a kid, I'm not thinking that. I'm just thinking, uh. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But then actually when you try things enough that they become nice. When I said I want to be a chef, my mum was like, but you don't even like food. Um, and she was kind of right. Like I didn't like a lot of things, but those things that I didn't like, I still don't like, but I like a good example of them. I love a roast dinner. I love vegetables. I love salad, but I don't like a salad that was just like some chopped onion and some iceberg lettuce that was dressed an hour and a half ago, whatever, you know, that's minging. Yeah. You like good food. And I think that anything is a good example of it. There's a way to like it. There's a way to like cauliflower if you don't like cauliflower. You know, to have it roasted like a Sunday roast or whatever, a whole roast cauliflower with garlic and thyme and salt. Well, that's not a million miles away from how a chicken would taste. It's not because a chicken didn't really taste much. And the sweetness in it and the sweetness in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that if you ate that enough, you could eat it once and say, no, I don't like it. Eat it again and say, I don't like it. It's all right. It's all right. And then it becomes craveable. Right. You know, yeah, eventually. Yeah. Um, I've gone massively off track with that. That's all right. But I was, I was just yeah. talking about like um, how I think that when you go into a restaurant, you need to be able to eat something and that you know kind of to a degree what you're eating. You know, but you've never had it look like that. You've never had it taste like that. Yeah. But it's still recognisable flavours somehow. So like um, a big thing that we've like not... Not consciously, but a big thing that we've been drawing on in the restaurant is just food that just tastes good. Right? It sounds like so stupid mm. for a restaurant to yeah. focus on that because it's like it should be a given, right? But it doesn't really work out like that. Sometimes you think, shit, this this uh, this ingredient's in vogue. Like we should be using that. We should be using this kind of line. We should be using this, that, and the other, and we should be presenting it a certain way. Or we should be like fermenting things because everyone's fermenting things. We should be pickling. We should be doing all this crap. Um, why don't we pickle our fruits what and then you go to um, the Chinese restaurant over the road and you think oh, this tastes better than that fucking crap that I just made from some hedge that I right. picked do you know what I mean <laughs> yeah, yeah. it just tastes better because that tastes nice that actually tastes nice and like things like a mango tastes nice right undeniably tastes mm. nice considerably nicer than a nettle Right, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Chocolate tastes nice, considerably nicer than like fermented fucking strawberries. Yeah. It just tastes nicer than that. Um, and I think as a chef, you can lose your will. You can lose like that direction. And you just, that's being outrageous. That's being trendy. That's sticking with those things. And to forget the fact that actually for dessert, I am going to want some chocolate. I am. I don't want a massive amount because I don't want to feel like a fat fuck when I leave. But I just want that little bit. You know what yeah. I mean? That little hit of sweetness, I can be like, that's what I wanted. And if, if, if that dessert that I'm getting in a fancy restaurant isn't as good as a whisper gold, I'm going to be fucked off. Yeah. I'm going to pretend it's good because I feel like I have to. And the amount of things you've got to think about and the attention <laughs> to are just crazy. Well, it's, what's weird about it is that um, everyone can have an opinion on it. Everyone's entitled to an opinion on it and that doesn't happen in many things. Mm. Um, you can have an opinion on clothes because you wear clothes every day. So you can choose what you like and you can say what you don't like on others. 
Um, and you eat food every day. You know what I mean? Yeah. You also know the value of food based personally on your experience of shopping for it, buying a sandwich, buying this, that and the other, and everything becomes like... That's the best version of that I've had if uh, I don't know if you eat cheese sandwiches, but as a cheese sandwich, cheese toasty or whatever, you can say, I'll go here and have a good cheese toasty or I have a good pizza there, whatever. Um, and that cost me five pounds something. Or I can make this at home that tastes a certain way. So then when you go to any restaurant, they're already competing, not from like nothing. There's a level already to be better than. You're in competition yeah. with the, like the home cook. And I'd like to think without arrogance that we stepped over that mark a long time ago. But then there's this other thing happening, uh, which is super interesting in like supermarket foods. And supermarket foods are beautiful. And if if you look at like um, M&S or even Asda, right? Um, I just use those because I think that's like the high and the low end, right? Okay. Both companies have not one person, but a team of people that they'll send all around the world. So let's say, think in advance and say, right, okay, we need to strengthen our um, Mexican line. Our Mexican food needs to be better. They'll send people over to Mexico. They go and work in the top restaurants, they go and work in street food restaurants. They see what the people in Mexico are eating, see what current food trends are happening in Mexico, and they get it from the absolute top. Right. The three Michelin star restaurants. Top restaurants. They take all that, bring it back home, and say, right, okay, so in three years' time, we should be doing something scaled down to about here. But actually, like, the people of England in 2018 aren't ready for that yet. So next year, we should start to bring this element into it and the following year and gradually build it up. So there's like billions of pounds on research and development into food. So if Marks and Spencers are doing that just to make a lasagna, right? Yeah. How the fucking hell is Andy... <laughs> in the dog and duck around the corner, going to make a better lasagna than that. How the fuck can he do that? Yeah. Like, that's now a tremendous skill. Yeah. Fuck me, I can make a better lasagna than Marks and Spencer's, but only just. <laughs> like, genuinely, only just. Because who can't? Mm. And, like, <laughs> it's, um, I'm proper underselling myself here, but I think that uh, research and development within food, firstly in supermarkets and also in chain restaurants, increases to a rate where it's like, through the roof, right? So you've got such a massive budget to, yeah. to do it. You've got you've got the funds to do it, and that's why, like, with sports, companies like Nike can just jump into a spot they've never done before and take it over. Because right. they've got the R&D. They jump into skateboarding, bang. Nike on skateboarding. Yeah. It's fine. Um, and then it's the responsibility of, like, the local restaurant to step up. Mm. And, and if it doesn't, it's fucked. Absolutely fucked. And I think you get... This is an awful thing to say. I think you get a better meal at a chain restaurant nine times out of ten than you do at a local restaurant. Mm. And that's like, I'm not talking Weatherspoons, but you know, I don't want to like name drop yeah, any, yeah. any any brasseries or, or chain restaurants, but they know what they're doing. There's no fuck ups. It's just average, but it's not shit. Yeah. It's just average. Whereas you can go to like a neighborhood restaurant and it's old and it's shit and it's podgy and the guy doesn't know what he's doing. Mm. Um, so then you've got like this, yeah, this secondary tier of like, okay, big chain restaurants, you need to be better than that now, and they can jump on trends. Look at um, Alchemist, you know, the cocktail bar. Yeah, yeah. People were going tits, tits over dry ice in a glass, uh, gin and tonic. Right. 
Like mental. Yeah. Look at this, there's dry ice coming out of it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Fucking sick. And the place is full. Yeah, and everyone's yeah. going, oh my God. What? Like, mm. that was happening in 92 in Spain. 1992, not in bars, but in restaurants high end. And then it comes down, trickles down and you see it. You look at all these kind of stoneware plates in restaurants now. You go into like chain restaurant, you'll normally see some kind of earthenware. You won't always see a white round plate. A white round yeah. plate doesn't exist. So you'll see something that's like a bit beige or earthy or teal, or, you know. And that's all from a restaurant in Denmark, one restaurant in Denmark that was super popular like and took over the world 10 years ago. And, and still is popular now, still is relevant now. But impacted so much on the food scene that it trickles down and gradually we get it. And that's a new standard of tableware in Weatherspoons or wherever I'm talking about, right. you know, or Banyan or something yeah. like that. Things in like shitty frying baskets, you know what I mean? I Just food improves, always yeah. improves. And England's mint for it. I think England's one of the best countries to eat in. But we don't have that reputation, do we? Like if, if you ask like foreigners. No, we don't. We don't at all. Um, but that's why England's so good because there's no arrogance. To, sorry, I said that wrong. Mm. There's no arrogance to it. Um, I think you can get a better creme brulee in England than you can in France. Really? Because you got like, no, not particularly. You can definitely go <laughs> to like a top restaurant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sainsbury's tiramisu is a phenomenal thing, a phenomenal thing. Um, but if you go into like a cafe in Italy and order tiramisu, right. it's shit. You know what I mean? You order a pizza in Italy, and in Italy you think, oh, I'm gonna have pizza and pasta. And the pasta's dog shit. The pizza's boring. Like, there's not that many great yeah. pizza shops, whereas England, we don't make pizzas. That's not what we do. Yeah. Okay, so we learn, and we right. take it on, and, and then you adapt it, right? How do I get better? How do I get better? How do I get better? Um, so then we can, you can get some great pizzas in England now. I guess there's no, like, cultural things holding you back. You can literally take the best bits of anywhere, where, wherever it's yeah, from. Yeah, sick, right? Like, who, who today wants to eat Toad in the Hall? Or, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, like, there could be some... You know, Italian, you know, family making pizzas and like, well, I can't do that thing even if it's good because that's not the way, you know, my grandpa showed me how to do yeah, it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, there's no heritage. Yeah. Exactly. There's no snobbery to it. It's not like, oh, this is the rules. Exactly. And like, you think about how easily we took that on, how easily the curry was accepted in England, not just accepted, yeah. like lauded upon the curry is like the best thing in the world. And even now, you go down to Akbar's on a Saturday night and look for an empty table. Yeah. And it's like... 90% English guys that just fucking love it. Chinese food, the same, it takes off. Italian food, I think, has dipped a little bit. People are a little bit bored of it. Yeah. Um, French food's almost non-existent. Um, but Asian's massive because it's full of flavour, isn't it? Yeah, and a lot of Thai food places around. Yeah, exactly. Um, and they're good. And we can take all of it and not claim any of it, mm. but do a good job of it. Whereas if you go to Paris, you go to a French cafe, that creme brulee was burnt like a couple of hours ago and it's been sat in the fridge and the sugar's gone all soggy and it's a little bit overcooked and grainy and it might even be from a packet because of that used to making them. Oh, we're French, we do creme brulees, you know. Yeah. And there's, there's an arrogance to it whereas like, I think with Britain, we just have to try that a little bit harder because we've got such a bad reputation. Yeah. But it's so much better than America. Right. Yeah, it's so much better than America. Yeah. Fuck the Americans when they're like, you know... Uh, it's like enough British food or like oh, you eat this dog shit and gravy and I've seen American food there are some phenomenal examples of American food mm. like In-N-Out Burger's sick 
uh, <laughs> San Francisco is sick. Uh, Thomas Keller is sick. There's some some phenomenal examples of American food. I'm not like having to go all of America and there's some shit examples of British food. But as a whole, as a country, I've never been to a better country to walk in off the street with no knowledge of what that restaurant is and get an ex- a totally acceptable meal. Right. Well, I, I don't think you can do yeah. that. Maybe that's something that's like not as easy to say if you're vegetarian because there's limits with that, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's quite a nice thing. That's quite a thing to be proud yeah, of. Yeah. That, like you shouldn't really... If you come over from like California to Leeds, you don't make a single reservation and mm. you just look on what looks nice. It's normally nice. Yeah. It's normally decent. Whereas you do the same in America, it's dog shit. Um, on, you know, for the most part. Yeah, I was watching um, the only cooking program I really watched is, uh, recently has been the Anthony Bourdain's Parts Unknown. Yeah, and yeah. That's more of like a culture show in a way. You don't really talk about the food too much. But mm. I watched one in London quite recently. And well, he was going all up and down the UK and he was like, oh, man, I don't know why you guys have like, you know, bad reputation or everything. All this stuff is amazing. Yeah, it's true. He was hanging out with like Marco Pierre White. Yeah, and Wheelers of St. James. <laughs> he closes the restaurant up for him. Yeah, yeah. And he orders everything. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And, um, you know, touching back on your earlier point, I think Michael almost said the same thing, whereas the food you're going to get, you know, from a high-level, you know, restaurant or, you know, somewhere, you know, from supermarket is it's better, but, you know, it's going to be margins. So what he's really saying, like, when you go out is somewhere, the feel of the place needs to be really important. The service needs to be really important. And then the food needs to be the... Um, a factor yeah I mean I disagree with him on that mm. just because I think he's just saying that because he's shit now and no one really fucking cares about him <laughs> right. and he can't be asked cooking um, <laughs> it's true though like he's, he's dated himself yeah. so it's like oh it's all about this and he's a bit mental isn't he let's be I honest suppose, yeah. yeah he's fucking nuts psycho um, <laughs> on, the, on the show he's like keeping piggies he's like piggies piggies yeah. like, hello donkey <laughs> hello donk <laughs> Do you like donkeys, Mr. Rishi? Yeah, he's mental, fully mental. Um, I disagree with him. I mean, ultimately, um, I'd be served by Hitler for a great meal. Right. Do you know what I mean? I'd let Hitler put it down in front of me and I'd fucking eat that if it's delicious. I love food. I don't like, I don't really, um, service is nice. Mm. It's nice. But British people don't want to be served upon. They want to be like looked after and that's it. Yeah. But you don't want to make friends with someone, right? Like, I'd hate to go to a restaurant like, oh, there's Gary the waiter that we had last time. How do you know his fucking name? Because yeah. really, really in my face yeah. the whole day. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You want him to be like the grey man, don't you? Like, yeah, ninjas. Yeah. Fucking ninjas, but nice. Um, know what they're doing. You never want for anything. You never know that they're... A smile doesn't yeah. hurt. But, um, and the place is important, but you can have, like, great food and a shit place. It's fine. Mm. Um... I just think that if you've got great food, then you should branch out into those other things. Right, yeah. Um, you can't, I guess, have a good restaurant if the you know, it feels nice and the service is nice, but the food's dog shit. You're not, yeah, you're not exactly. Better, I would also the say, might be true, what yeah. restaurant, and this isn't like a fucking been a dick, what restaurants does Mark Up Here White have that have either good food, good service, right, or nicely decorated? And I'd say fucking none. Mm. Currently none. Yeah. Um, but yeah, fuck them. For you, is, is food, the way you talk it almost seems like a, I don't know, if it, is it more like an art or is it more like a science for you? <coughs> it's definitely not a science, because you can go wrong. 
Um, and art sounds a bit wanky, um, but I think that I think that some that people object is not art; it's fucking food. But then it, art, art subjective, food subjective, and I mm. think that um, I think that once you have a craft, it's definitely a craft, right? Um, and then you apply an emotion to it, then it becomes art. Um, and painting and decorating is a craft, but being a painter is yeah. an art. And being a painter is just doing exactly the same thing as a painter and decorator, but with an emotion behind it, with a reason for doing it, or no reason for doing it, or a feeling for doing it, because you want it that way, and that's your vision. Then in that sense, I do think it is an art. But I don't think that it's an art in the sense of, like, that piece of food itself is an art, is is a piece of yeah. art. Like, take it home and frame it, hang on your fucking wall. I don't think it like that. But I just think, well, the only reason that you're doing these things is for passion, is for, for romance. Right. Um, is for expression. Otherwise, it would just be like, wouldn't it? There you go. Why is it like that? I want it to be like that. Why? I don't know. That's the same question at Damien Hurst. Why is that in a fucking blue box? I don't know. This looks cool. Like, look yeah. shit. Um, and if it makes you think, if like if you can apply an emotion to it as a chef, and if people can eat it and experience an emotion that is beyond just that taste delicious, and I don't expect that from everything. You know, no one's coming to be told a story through food. They're just coming for a meal. Mm. But if like if you can truly enjoy something, um, and I think you have to be like a certain person to to accept that as, and by that I mean like a certain guest, a certain diner. Um, to like to almost be a glutton you know people that like can really and I have the ability to do it which is why I've joined the gym to put really buzz off food you know to think like I'm not eating this because I'm hungry I'm eating that because that feels so good in my mouth almost like a drug right. do you know what I mean I want I want the texture of that in my throat that sounds a bit creepy that doesn't it but like but to want and to crave and to need that, it's like a drug addict, right? Mm. But like, oh, fucking hell. And then if someone gives you it, it's like the best heroin you've I've never had heroin. It's like the best heroin you've ever had. You want more of it. Yeah. You don't want it because you're hungry. You want it because yeah. you're craving it. And I think like if you can create that, then that going back to your original question, that's what makes a great chef. Someone that can create something that's technically perfect or technically brilliant, but is craveable craveable and craveable in foods is so underrated mm. so underrated because it's something that we take in like takeaways and all that shit we, we, we have it all the time yeah you i'm sure you've got restaurants that you go to and you have a certain thing every time you're there paneer pakoras mortan tandoori wait sorry <laughs> paneer pakoras from uh, mortan tandoori oh have yeah so many of those yeah okay right yeah. so like but when you go there that's what you order if they took them off the menu how are you feeling pretty pissed yeah. off right <laughs> don't know what I'd do myself yeah, exactly <laughs> like I had the same thing at your sushi I used to have this um, um, okanaki okay, omelette or whatever okonomaki I don't know what it's called mm. but it's just this nice little like um, Japanese omelette with uh, two sauces on and, and fish flakes and I buzzed off it it was delicious and they took it off I was only going there for that and then I'd like I'd eat around that do you know what I mean yeah, I'd yeah. get things to go with that and they took it off the menu, I was gutted. And then people asked me in the restaurant, like, how often do you change your menu? Like, as if they say, oh, we'll book when you change your menu. I think, oh, fuck that, man. Like, don't come next week for a new menu. Yeah. Come, like, in six months' time or a year's time because 
you've been to Motown Tandoori for your, pan, your uh, fucking paneers. How many times? Like, roughly, in the last month? More than once? Twice? Oh, yeah, more than... Maybe... Uh. It, three, ne- three, at least three. <laughs> yeah, okay. Probably so more. nearly weekly. Yeah. Nearly weekly. Yeah. Um, I'm sure for your lunch or when you eat at work, that must be like repetitive as fuck. For um, most people, yeah. they have pretty yeah. much the same thing. I meal prep, so it's the same, literally the same thing for yeah. four or five days. Yeah, exactly. Um, and with restaurants, I think it should be like that, but out of choice. You know, I, I know that, for example, like I want to go to a restaurant, Gordon Ramsay. Because I want to have that lobster ravioli and I want to think, fuck that lobster ravioli. It was there, it was amazing. Mm. That was amazing. I want to go for that. And I think that's exactly what a destination restaurant should be. I don't think it's like your mum cooking for you and you're not going, oh, mum, lasagna again. I had it three times the last fucking, you know what I mean? Yeah. Can I have something new? I think it should be you go back and, oh my God, is this ravioli better? been three years since I've eaten it. Is right. this even better? Has it been refined? Or yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, what have they done? It's, it's just different. Yeah. Better, but it's still there. And, and that, for me, is what makes, like, oh, that's the direction I want the restaurant to go in. I'm not ashamed to say, like, there's dishes that we've had on there for years. But every week, every week, and every, well, every day we're tasting them, but every week we're thinking, what can we do? What's our weakest? What can we do to make that? And there's nothing shit, do you know what I mean? Mm. What can we do to make that just a little bit better? What's in that? Is that the best possible ingredients we could get? Is it the best possible way we can do it? Is there another method? Has anyone got anything similar? What do they do? Is it too similar? Do we pie it off? What about the time of year? What about the temperature? What about where it sits on the menu? Is it big enough? Is it small enough? Should it come in earlier? Is it too spicy for that point? Do you want it later on? Yeah. Are people bored when they get here? So should we do a little flourish or three little snacks or whatever? Um, but so that people come and they have an experience um, and a great meal and they think... The pigeon at the man behind the curtain is beauty, and I'd order it with rice and a fucking prawn cracker. Right? Do you know what I mean? But it's beautiful. And the ravioli at restaurant Gordon Ramsay, as an example, I would have a bowl of and a ladle, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't come up for a. <laughs> I'd need a snorkel or something. Um, the crispy beef at A One Victoria, I could eat that for days. Um, there's, you know what I mean these yeah. restaurants that like are the candle at, at Story the beef dripping like these things that are like iconic plates of food I think keep them so that like you know when people just want to go there and have that and eat that that's that's the future yeah. like M&S lasagna always popular but always a bit better mm. I'm not just selling M&S lasagna by the way it's going to go up <laughs> I, I just think it's a perfect representation of gastronomy yeah. it's like um it's a cuisine that's not ours, it's Italian, kind of. Do you know what I mean? And it started off, all right, good, 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 good. And I was like, fuck hell, you can't get a better lasagna in any restaurant than Max Spencer's now. The levels that you have to think on are just blowing my <laughs> mind right now. Like, just from all that refinement process you were just talking about. It's, is that something you learn while you're kind of coming up in, in as a chef? No, not, not at all, really. I mean, I work for this guy... Um, Years and years ago, Graham, Graham Newbold, he's called, I'll name drop him. Um, and he was like, he was chef for Charles and Diana. And he, he's, he's drunk Princess Diana's tip milk. So like, yeah. when, when she had William, um, they were like, in Sc- I can't remember what the place is called, in Scotland. Um, and they're on like a skeleton staff, you know, so they get privacy. Mm. So he goes out on the piss, comes back in and the butler's like, evening Newbold. <laughs> and like in the, mil- in the fridge, it says breast milk. 
and the butler dared him to drink it because he was pissed. So he drank it. So he thinks that he's really, he's like in the, um, what do you call it? Chin, in line for the throne somehow, <laughs> somewhere, because he drank that. But anyway, so I worked for him, uh, his restaurant closed, I moved away, but incredible attention for detail. Not particularly amazing food, but great attention for detail. I worked a couple of years later in Durham. They were in the ship for staff. I knew he was out of work, so I called him, and he's like, not a father figure, but a father figure in cooking, right? Mm. Graham could come up and give us a hand. So he came up and sat in the hotel reception, and there was like a notepad and pen. Um, and just while he was waiting for anyone to come, he just filled out this thing and handed it to the manager of the hotel. And just said, when do you want me to start? Oh, wow. And this, this notepad had just listed every fault that his eye could see. Oh, wow. He's just in the reception. Fruit bowl and reception's a little bit old and mouldy. There's also an uneven amount. Uh, the scuffing on the skirt and boards of reception has got uh, different socks on this. Side. You know what I mean? Just bang, bang, bang. And you could do it now, right? You could say, okay, so there's um, those windows aren't the best windows they could possibly be. They've got children's prints in them. That'll be actually my son's handprints. Um, and he's just gone through the list like that. Perfect. Mm. And all you've got to do is that every day. And I think, like, you can definitely do that with everything. I mean, unfortunately, in this room, there's just inanimate objects, but. <laughs> You can look and say those fire extinguishers. Are they the best fire extinguishers you could possibly have? What would be the best way of putting out a fire? You know what I mean? Yeah. What would be a best colour? Where could they sit? How could we have them? Could we have them rotating? Um, what about the drink? We've just got San Pellegrino at the moment, but what if we made some fresh orange juice or some tea or yeah. whatever? And just extend like that every day and just think. You spot the things. And the second, the second you fix one problem, it just highlights that next weakest thing. Do you know what I mean? Like if you polish that one window, the others are minging. Yeah. But then you can see outside. So maybe outside needs fixing. Maybe your swing needs painting. Yeah. Um, it's, well, it's quite similar when you're in training for the Marines. That everything has to, the attention to detail there is is crazy. And like to the point where you might have a locker inspection or something. And you might have like uh, two tins of boot polish or something like that. Yeah. And if those barcodes aren't lined up together to make, to make matching lines on top of each other. Uh, you know, you're gonna get a bollock in. I love that. Believe. I love that so much. But you know, it's, it's that kind of thing. And you know, if some and you've got everything's like a, a mirror image when you walk into the, the grots where the, where the accommodation is. So it's you know, you've got one lad's bed there, one lad's bed there. If you walk in and someone's bed is just slightly out of you know the precise mm. um, how they've told you to make it or something like that. You know, you're putting a crease down the middle of your sheets, down your pillowcase, down the bottom thing. If someone's crease is like just a little bit off from like center, you're like, straight away. Like, if you yeah. just look at it, you're like, oh no, that's fine. But next to everything else, like... Yeah, it looks weird. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 100%. Um, I remember um, working in London at a two-star years, like 16 years ago, and I never understood it. Like the first day I was like, I don't get this. Um, but... The containers for your food, so say you've got like a puree or a soup or anything like that, right? It'll go in a little container. Um, and then normally, those containers when I first started cooking was like an old salt pot or an old... And they were all odd. Right. Um, and these ones are like kind of not odd, you know. But you're not allowed anything up the rim of them. Everything has to be nice. So I just change it into a new container. So like then I change into a new container. It was the same size, but so there's nothing, no soup yeah. up the side of it or anything. Right. But then to cling film it so tight. So you've got to warm the edge of the container, then cling film so tight that there's not a single crease in the cling film, but then nip the 
cling film all the way around, so you can't. See, you know, like if you do a toilet, yeah, so that people shit on it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah. that, but with so that like you don't know there's any cling film there. Yeah. If you can see a crease in your cling film, it pops small. You start again. Yeah. See, so similar to like, the parallels, because I guess you need that attention to detail when you're making yeah. like the best food. And for us, you know, we needed to have that attention to detail because that might be the difference between, um, you know, you noticing that one of your rounds is on your magazine is, you know, not f- sat properly. Yeah, yeah. And then when you, you go to do that and you've got to, you know, fire your weapon, it's going to jam. Like. And that, but that's, that's, you know, attention to detail. It's not, it's a little bit attention to detail, but it's also kind of massively respect and it's massively love. Um, and if you've got, I don't know if you've got children... No, no. uses. Yeah, fine. Yeah. Um, but you know what it's like to see someone's tie and just twist it a little bit, you know, yeah. just to put it right, or your tie's a bit yeah. off, or your collar, or a friend, whatever, right? And you do that because, like, oh, you're just not quite perfect. Mm. Now you're perfect. Yeah. Um, and it's only treating food with that level, isn't it? Right, I get like, you, you wouldn't yeah. let, um, I wouldn't let my kid uh, come to, like, crash here covered in crap with like chocolate on his face and looking unwashed and unloved yeah. with dirt on his fingernails in the same way that I wouldn't let the food in my fridge look like I didn't give a shit about it. Mm. And if you take the same amount of care as you do in your bed sheets as a marine or um, your boot polish as a marine or the food in your fridge so that actually you're not sure what looks better, the food on the plate or when you pull out your fridge drawer like that and it just looks fucking perfect. Mm. Um then I think that, that you apply that into everything. Yeah. Everything. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's difficult. I mean, I worked in a, in a restaurant just as a kitchen part of like I don't know, a year or something. And um, it was a small and very hot kitchen. And it's difficult to I imagine to have those attention to detail when you it's fast, like loads of stuff is coming at you at one time. It seems yeah, like I it mean, a difficult, difficult job. I, I don't have a fast paced kitchen on purpose. Mm. So um, ours is timed in a way that there's eight people every 30 minutes. And they're always okay. having the same thing. Right. There's no menu. Yeah. There's no choice, at least. <laughs> yeah. So you're just having the same thing. So yours is like clockwork. Like it's yeah. going. Lit- literally clockwork. So like timer on. That's ready, go. That's ready, go. That's clear. That needs to happen. This needs right. to happen. But it's almost silent compared to like. A load of orders being thrown at you in absolute chaos. Yeah. Everything's, we know, we know who's coming, we know what they're eating, we know what time they're eating, we know that the only thing that changes is who's coming. Mm. But everything else is the same. So it just allows you to get um, militant. Yeah. And it, it, it is militant yeah. with it. Um, yeah, man. It's like having, as far as it's like standard operating procedures, like we know if this and this happens, we do this. It's like if this happens, this happens. For you guys, I imagine it's, Right, it's this time that this needs to be happening. It's this mm. time this needs to be happening. Is it similar like that? Yeah, I mean, the, I think the difference... Okay, so... Um, everybody's different, right? Um, and I mean... Guests. But most people offer, operate on fairly normal, like time restraints on like how long they want to eat how long they take to chew how long they, they yeah. want to break in between how long they take to, to drink a right. glass of wine yeah. um, and there's normally a minimum of two people on each table anyway um, where, where I'm getting at with this is that like I think you can't be in a restaurant for too long 
I think like I've eaten in restaurants for five hours, five and a half hours. And you're like, oh my God, I'm going to blow my brains out. I'm so bored. There's literally no food in the world that you can bring me that's remotely interesting enough for me to want to stay in this seat anymore. Right. My asshole's gone in on itself <laughs> and my, my bum is completely, <laughs> completely flat. Um, yeah, exactly. So I think like a good time is two hours to two hours 30. I think that's right. the ideal. Um, but some people, you know, we get people from Australia. They don't want to be out in two hours. Yeah. We don't give the, we don't change the table. You know, it's there yeah. for the night. But for a pace of food, two hours 15, two hours 30 is quite nice. Right, so we work to that. Um, and occasionally you'll get people who's like, can we take it a little bit slower? Can we speed it up a little bit? Mm. Um, some people want to savour it. Some people want to get bored. Uh, some people are going to get bored. Um, so it's militant to the point of like how we ideally want to do it but it's respectful of how others want to. Yeah. So you get like the odd curveball of like, right, okay, we'll just pace that. So it's more orchestrated than militant, I guess. Right. What kind of... You've had you've been in those kitchens before, I guess, when there's loads of, you know, orders coming at you and you've been in busy kitchens before. <coughs> yeah. Well, I think well, the difference with those kitchens, right... Is that um, the only reason I could have a restaurant? The only reason I could have a business is if I was allowed to do what I wanted to do, mm. and I never wanted to feed people. As in, I don't want people to be coming to me because they're hungry. We give them enough food for a meal. Yeah. You know, you're not leaving hungry. That's not the point. But the the reason you're coming to eat the man behind the curtain isn't because you're hungry and you need to eat that night. It's experience. Yeah, exactly. It's because you, you physically want to taste those things. You want to eat those things. And there's a finite amount of things that you can eat before you're full. Mm. So we try and give you the maximum amount of things that you can eat. Right. The maximum amount of things you can taste until you're full. Rather than, I'm hungry, what are we going to eat tonight? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, sorry, man, totally forgot the question. Oh, the busy kitchens. Yeah. Yeah, so the busy kitchens, I, don't, I think that's almost a different career. You know, yeah. there's nothing wrong with that, but and I use those places because yeah. there'll be a time where I think I want to go in a pub and I want um, I want pie and chips or I want um, fish and chips or whatever, buy a mash, a steak, and you want it like instantly, don't you? Mm. And I think yeah. the second you've ordered it, you're like, right, how long ago is that? Especially if you're hungry. Um, so I've been in those places, but it's a totally different operation. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with those things at all. It's just, it's chaotic. So when you're a you know chef doing that kind of thing, I guess you've got inspirations to, aspirations rather to, you know, do more fine dining like an experience. Yeah, I, th- I think, well, definitely it's fair to say that everything, the majority of things that have come in the restaurant that are good are based on the negative or the opposite version of that, if that makes sense. Right. So like... Um, if I go to a restaurant and there's absolutely no music in it and it's dead, you know, it's just silent and you're scared to speak. Yeah. Then I use that as a reason to soundtrack a playlist that's at a certain volume with certain sounds and certain acoustic control. Yeah. So we can control the the, temp- the volume of the restaurant to what I consider to be perfect for me. Mm. Um, not perfect for everyone. But it's not based on my desire to play music at a certain level. It's based on my desire to not want to be in that position. Yeah. Or the opposite, to not want to go somewhere and feel like you're in a nightclub. Right. 
So based on negativity, you, you bring the positivity, you know what I mean? Yeah. You go in a, a kitchen that, like you say, is like, check on, check on, check on. And it's like, well, how, the, how the fuck can anyone do that at the exacting standards? Because if the queen was in, you'd stop everything. And, or your mum was in, and you'd cook one steak or one whatever piece of fish, 100% detail, like your tension's on that. You're not moving from it. Yeah. You know, in Marines, I don't want to get all weird about it, but the difference between a sniper and Johnny Rambo. Right. Just shooting yeah. at everything. Ugh, everything needs shooting. Or, no, no, I'm going to get that over there. But yeah. I'm going to take my time. That's going to happen. And I think that's the difference. Um, when you work like that, you're chaotic. When you're in a noisy kitchen, it's not controlled. You know, there needs to be a level of control. There needs to be um, and a perfect level of control. And for every everyone that's talking, or everyone that's shouting or screaming or kicking or being angry, then you're not in love with what you're doing and you should be happy, right? Yeah. You should be working in a happy environment. You can't be happy if you've got more work than you can handle, which is where the chaos problem is. So, okay, that's, that's making the guys unhappy, which means they can't cook like that. They can't cook like a happy cook. They can't cook like, you know, like they mean it, like they really want that to taste fucking mint. Yeah. Which is what it comes down yeah, to, yeah. right? Um, and I think that that happens with like... Golf's, golf's probably, I don't play golf, but golf's probably the perfect sport as an example in that, like, it's kind of one shot. In that, mm. Do you know what I mean? Each shot is like, okay, I'm focusing on that. That yeah. is going over there. Give me one second, everyone. I just need to think about fucking what I'm doing. And I'm going to make sure that, I, I, to the best of my ability, I do that perfect. And I think that's how cooking should be. Um, whereas, like... If you just threw a load of balls and said, oh, mate, you've got to hit all them over that fence. Should be smashing them straight up. Fucking yeah. bang, 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 <laughs> bang, yeah. yeah. It's all right, but it's not as like, it's not the same thing, is it? Yeah. So I think I think golf's a pretty good analogy. It's like how the kitchen runs. You focus on that. But instead of, like, because obviously we're not cooking for one person, it's eating one thing. Mm. So we have multiple chefs doing multiple things simultaneously, but only ever focusing on one thing in hand. Yeah. When was that transition for you from going, uh, you know, having a, I don't want to use the word busy kitchen, but it's in like a, you know, somewhere stuff is flying at you, like, like the example we've used. I, th- I think we're still in it. So like, <coughs> I've fallen in and out of love with cooking and I've fallen in and out of careers with right. cooking. I don't want to go into it, but there's been times I thought, fuck that, I don't want to. And then I got back and then fuck it, I don't yeah. hate it. And I think to be a success, it can only be the way you want it to be. Otherwise you're going to fall out with it again, right? Um... So it was a development of when I was first head chef anywhere. Okay, well, I'm just not naturally not going to shout because, like, I'm not like that. It's not you. Yeah. Um, so we need to do other things to make sure that doesn't happen. And then just constantly making little changes, you know, little um, tiny changes every day that, like, to, okay, well, tomorrow we'll do that. And from now on, we'll just do that. And then you never need to think about that again. And then fix the next thing and fix the next thing. So it's been, it's been a transition, a progression, rather than like, on the sixth of June, I made a conscious decision that it would be a silent kitchen. You know, right? Um, is that what your kitchen is now? It's like, no, it's not silent, but it's a, it's a conversation. Like, um, it's not screamy. Yeah. No one calls any orders on. No one calls any orders away. Okay. So if you take that out of a normal kitchen, yeah, that's pretty silent yeah one person asks for things 
have two here, table three, but I also have it on monitors. So it projected from an iPad mm. onto two TV screens where everything's going. So it's, there's a visual there, so you don't actually need to hear it. Right. So as long as you're in touch with what's going on in the yeah. monitor, you've been told kind of where you need to go. I mean, the monitor's like six feet in front of you. Um, there's still conversations, there's still niceness, there's pleasantries. It's not like people are working in complete silence. Yeah. It's not as in-depth a conversation as this, but there's still a, there's still a dialogue there. Like, but it keeps everyone, hopefully everyone happy, everyone focused, and not feeling like they're slogging out in a kitchen. Mm. It's a bit more serious, you know? So what was, you think, uh, you got, a, you, the Michelin, Michelin star is obviously a massive thing, but yeah, what was the difference between uh, the man behind the curtain before you had it, and what was the difference between it like, after, like, on a technical <coughs> Technically nothing. So um, the thing with the Michelin star is it's not a physical thing. It's like, um, like a hotel, right? You can say I stayed in a four-star hotel, a five-star hotel, whatever. Mm. Someone decided that was a five-star. You didn't decide. Right, right. You know what I mean? So you go there and you expect certain things because it's a five-star hotel. Um, And some five-star hotels are amazing. And some of them are shit. That's nothing to do with Michelin. (laughs) And there's no real, like, shit Michelin-style restaurants. Don't get me wrong. But some hotels that don't have any star rating are really lovely places to be. The man behind the curtain before I had a Michelin star was a really lovely place to be, a really cool place to be. Like, oh shit, how'd this happen? And then it gets a Michelin star and there's an expectation. And thankfully we met that expectation. Um, and I'm not saying that it took any shine off it because in honesty, it made my career. The day we got a Michelin star, I thought, I never need to have a shit job ever again. Like I've got to do some pretty awful things in life to ever have a shit job. Right. right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. If the restaurant failed tomorrow... I can walk into a hotel for like 90 to 100 grand a year laughing just because I got that yeah, or I had that yeah, at one yeah. point in my life. I can do that when I'm 50. It'll last forever, even though that'll go. Or, you know, might have gone in that period. Um, and then it just, it opens it up right, to like different people and different clientele. Um, and it gets us, it gives us a legitimacy. Um And it put me in this like competition that I didn't even want to be in that I'm now in. Whereas like I'm busting my balls for a second. I want two. It's not happened in Leeds. I want it. Um, So doing everything I can to try and get to that stage in life. Um, What's the process there? Because like you say, it's absolutely none. Is it just kind of? You can't do anything about it. All you can do, like you say, there's no. And that's that's the beauty of Michelin. Um, is that there's no formula mm. you know just do whatever you do really well and if you do that really really well you get a start and if you do it even better than that and you do it consistently even better than that then you get two and if you do it to the point where it's just fucking unbelievable you get three over time you know what I mean that's great isn't it yeah it's so loose yeah so yeah. loose um, and it means that no one's cooking in a formulaic way no one's doing certain things to appeal to Michelin, you know. Right, because there's no, like, say, oh, you should do this, this, and this, and we'll get you to, like... Yeah, um, and, it's, and it's, a, it's a retrospective award, if you think about it, because um, inspections happen over a 12-month period, and at the end of that 12-month period, a book's written, 
about the following year based on their experiences that year. All oh, right, right. Do you yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. So the year we got the Michelin star was based on what we'd done the year before that. Right. So like the restaurant wasn't any different because it was graded on that year. Mm. Does that make sense? I get you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if a restaurant like lost a Michelin star, let's say like the box train clearly lost a Michelin star this year, um, but that doesn't mean that the food this year is going to be of a lower standard than last year. If anything, it's probably the opposite. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, In yeah, that, yeah. like, well, I imagine that the focus will be on to get to regain that, so that this year is probably the best time to go to the box tree. Because they're going to be busting their balls. Yeah, busting the balls yeah. over it. Simon's going for it. Didn't want that. Like, and it'd be good value. <laughs> you know. Um, so, so now is a good time to go for it. Um, but yeah, it does change things, and ultimately, it's like any ranking system, right? The fact that it exists means that you need to comply with it. You need to like sit alongside it. So just ultimate, you know, we can have this conversation today. You go on holiday next month. And you speak to a guy who's got three Michelin stars. And then the next time you see me, I spoke to this guy who's got three Michelin stars. It doesn't matter whether you've eaten his restaurant or not. He's better than me. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Just psychologically better. Um, and I was never competitive until I got the star. And I'd already won. And then I'm competitive. Do you know what I mean? Meet the expectation that's been already put on you. Well, no, I think I think we were already at that expectation, yeah. but I just think, fuck me, if I can get a Michelin star, which I didn't think I could get, if I can get that in year one, right? cruising, cruising, just cooking yeah. and enjoying it and just cruising, what happens if I really fucking apply myself? What happens if I just go weird on it, you know, um, and take it further? There must, there must be more scope for it. We can't just, like, we can't tap out on year one. Yeah, that's That's true, our biggest yeah. success. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, like I said, you know, for as long as others have them and you don't, then you're just at a low grade and it would be nice to personally, I don't know, having Hedy in that, it's a weird thing, like you have a baby and I don't know if it's especially because he's a boy, I don't know why I'm saying that, but um, I've never wanted to be a success more, do you know what I mean? Mm. Um and it'd be quite nice to leave something. I'm not dying or anything, man. Yeah. I mean, I smoke a lot, but I'm not currently not dying. But like, it'd be quite nice to have something. Say, like, if you want it in life, there's a restaurant there. You can walk into it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You're brought up in it. It's your life. You have it. Um, and to be taken further, be cool. So that's even that even that's motivated you in a way to Yeah, definitely more so. Um and to enjoy life more. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. There's a, there's people that are, have got the same wants and desires, but they only focus on the kitchen, only focus on the food, yeah. only focus on the restaurant. I think you've got to focus on life, you've got to enjoy life, you've got to be happy. Yeah. And then put that into it affects you, the people you work with, everything, right? It's what my brother was saying a lot, um, when he's he's got like, two kids now, but um he's a tattoo tattoo artist. Okay. So he does all my tattoos and stuff and um he was saying like he's now now more than ever because since he's a kid he's think he's focusing on you know he wants his tattoo work to be you know the best it can be and he's in a way he's probably at the best place where he's at a place called like Snake and Tiger in town and uh, it's like one of the best studios he can mm. work at but on the opposite end of the side of things he wants to enjoy his life with his you know with his daughter yeah, yeah, exactly. with his wife and that's become even more important to him. So I can kind of get, get where you're coming from there. Yeah, but I, th- I think you can put a lot of time into something but just go through the motions of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Most people do it. Everyone's guilty of it. 
seldom that everyone's fucking 100% focused on the job in hand at any one point. Or you can come away from that and think, All right, okay, I've got these other things in life that are excellent. Um, so that means that when I'm there, I need to be like, twice as productive. Yeah. And you can't, you used to like, um, you said you're a pot washer, right? Yeah. Pot washer's a perfect job. Um, and like pot washing, peeling carrots, peeling potatoes, all those jobs I fucking love. And I love them because you don't need to think while you're doing it. Yeah. So like, while you're doing something that you don't need to think, peeling the carrot, putting pots through, through a machine or whatever, you sort the rest of your day out. Mm, yeah, yeah. And like, if I did like, shit jobs at work when I was a commie chef, like peeling veg and stuff like that, I'd be so organised when I got home that night as to what I was doing, get in the car, bang, bang, petrol, go home, get changed, wash, showered, go off, play football, get back. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because you've had all day to think, right, well, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do that and then I'm going to book those flights to Girona or whatever. You know what I mean? Never even been to Girona. But, um, yeah, it just gives you that ability to do it. Um, so I think when you're away from an environment that you need to be focused on, and then go back into it, you can just jump in and be like, right, okay, I've had to think about this, yeah, yeah. and bang. Works in the other way. Yeah, well. that's yeah, happening. Yeah. Um, almost like, I don't have to think about being a parent. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, I have to think about coming to the gym, I don't really have to think about playing tennis, to be honest. you know what I mean? Yeah. Anything like that. So when you do those things, it's just like, it's almost like a long train ride. You can right. cru- cruise yeah, through yeah. that part of your life. And then focus when you actually get in. Yeah. I've definitely been on literally on practical train journeys that are like, ah, oh, I'd like this to kind of just go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. A little bit because I'm like enjoying just being with my own thoughts and getting everything kind of sorted. Man, um, so we, we've, we moved to Leeds three months ago. And prior to that, I lived in Cheshire and I commuted every day to Leeds. Right. So you're like an hour and a half in the car. And I cursed it. You know, I'd go home and be like, so shit. It's like three hours I'm away from home, three hours I'm away from work mm. for no reason every day. Right. But what I had in those times was like time for reflection on a night, time for get my brain in gear in the morning to focus, to think about what I want to achieve, maybe to make a few phone calls in the car. Yeah. Hands free in that, but you know what I mean? And to, so that like balls are rolling before you even get there. And now I don't have that. Now I've got like a five minute commute. Yeah. So like I need to actually have a coffee, you know, yeah. go outside and have a yeah. cigarette and, <laughs> and stuff like that before I start work. So I think that train journey and that time alone, it's a form of meditation, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah it is definitely. Yeah. Like I, I, I don't meditate and I couldn't bring myself to meditate and I'm too like, I don't need to. I don't mm. think so, if I'm honest. But I think like having time alone, I laying down on the couch, stuff like that, and just thinking about what you're gonna do or, or thinking about nothing is. It's definitely a form of meditation to come around and to to come out of a state of mind of relaxation, driven. Oh yeah, yeah, it's fucking mint. How did you end up in Leeds in the first place? Like, um, I was in York. Leeds was the nearest city. There's nothing particularly like romantic about it. Right. Do you know what I mean? It was like a, a restaurant in York. Um, I didn't have it. I was head chef there. Right. I didn't I like the city, but. There was no real business there. There wasn't a great deal of disposable income. Most people work in leisure and tourism. Yeah. Um, which means most people are floating around the minimum wage to 20 grand mark, which is important when you sell the luxury product. <coughs> is that there's only so much you can charge for dinner in York. I think that's changed a little bit now. There's a few more restaurants, but this is five years ago. Um, was looking to up my own restaurant, looked in York, Spot came up in Leeds, looked in Leeds, I was like, well, Leeds, you've got 
all these businesses, all these people on a higher income, um, higher disposable income. You know, there's no snobbery about the restaurant, but if you're going to have an expensive restaurant, you need to make sure that people around it can afford to go there, you know? Absolutely. Uh, there's no point in opening like a three-star in Ethiopia. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, in fact, it's pretty disrespectful. But like, <laughs> no, I'm not calling York Ethiopian. Um, yeah, so Leeds was like, well, it's close. I knew Leeds better than I knew York. In that um, a lot of people from Middlesbrough actually drink in York and shop in Leeds. Yeah, yeah, my aunties and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it was like, it's the closest city to where I grew up, if that makes sense. I get you. Even though York's a city, Sunderland's a city, I think yeah. like, there's anywhere that would drive in, go shopping, have some lunch or whatever, it was always Leeds. So I knew it pretty well. It was 20 minutes away from where I lived at the time, which is York. And the spot came up, so I just took that. Mm. I love it, man. It's not... Yeah. Uh, I've heard it's not so popular of chefs opening up their own places anymore. Is that, is that true? Or? <coughs> it's a difficult time. Super difficult. There was a boom, like, where restaurants were opening left, right and centre and people were all over food. Like, if you look at, like, burger culture, um, <coughs> how much that took off is phenomenal. You know, think about how long ago Red's opened in Leeds. Yeah. People went mad for it. Myself included. Um, and that opened up like a new generation of diners. Not Red's itself, but Red's wasn't standalone in these restaurants that were like, I'd call an accessible restaurant. A restaurant that would make you and your mates actually say, oh, should we go and eat there tonight? Mm. Whereas before, a group of lads wouldn't really go out and eat. Mm. Or... Um, a guy and his girlfriend, it would be the girlfriend that would say, oh, we'll go out for dinner, and he'd go because he has to, and it'd be an Italian, yeah, it'd be yeah. fucking corny. But this was like, actually, no, I really want to eat that. Will you come with me? Yeah, yeah. Really nice thing. And then from that, you got loads of, like, the, the explosion of casual dining, where people decided that, okay, we just want to eat in T-shirts and jeans and trainers now, um, and we want to do it everywhere. And restaurants opened all over the shop um, and kept opening. But the population of people in like between twenty and forty didn't increase. Brexit kind of happened. People got a bit weird about it, mm. um, and it's a bad time. Like um, we're lucky, we're fortunate at the restaurant um, in that the popularity has kind of got us by. <coughs> but if I didn't have that like media drive, that popular interest, then I think we'd have struggled this year because. Um, the summer was crazy hot, yeah, crazy long, and um, you know how well do independent coffee shops do when it's boiling outside? Like who goes for coffee? Yeah. <laughs> but you have a long winter, mint, nice one. Someone wants to sit in, have some like eggs or whatever. Beautiful. We're not a coffee shop, but I'm just using it as an example. Um, and the main thing is that. The weather's been weird this year. That's one part. The other, there was too many restaurants, too much saturation. Um, too much competition. And every restaurant, like big restaurants that opened up, was so big. You it's know? like chain stuff, isn't it? Like, well, look at like Issue. It's enormous. Mm. A lovely restaurant, yeah. I really like it, but it's enormous. Why can't that be a third of the size? Yeah. Why can't it not have a drink in Terrace outside? Right. Because that's a bar, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. 
So, like, <laughs> why don't we just have a rooftop bar somewhere? And then a couple of nice little restaurants. And I think, ultimately, operators got too greedy and too big. I said, I want all this space, and I'm going to have 200 people eating there. And everyone wants 200 people eating in the restaurant. Well, it's not happening. I think the only person, or the only restaurant that's successfully done that week in, week out is Zap. You know that Thai yeah, place? Yeah, yeah. I've never seen that place dead. Yeah, it's... So, but it's affordable, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I mean, I've only eaten there a couple of times. I can't remember what the bill is, but I think you're looking at, like, if you spend a lot, 20 quid a head on food. Yeah, about that, yeah. Even if you less, eat a lot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, like, you could probably eat there for 10, 15 quid. Yeah, definitely. That's unbelievable, right? Yeah. That's, like... You could have six meals there, or one of mine. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, that's not value, that's not representative of value. But um, as far as competition goes, and it's quick, <laughs> I'm gonna get that straight away. Yeah, they don't, eat, they don't even book tables there, it's just literally. Yeah, wonderful, yeah, yeah, certain work, yeah. perfect. Um, yeah, so I just think that a few are closing, it's a dodgy time to open restaurants, no one really knows how it's gonna go with Brexit. Um, I don't really give a flying fuck. What will be, will be. Yeah. I'm sick of hearing about it. Um, yeah, man. Cool. Well, I want to be respectful of your time. Now we've got quite long here. Um, Sorry, mate. Yeah, it's good. Um, you sometimes wrap these up with just wondering what someone's perfect day is like. So, what? A perfect day? Yeah, you don't, you don't have to be at work. You can be at work if you want. Um, I usually just start with like what time you get up and how much sleep you've got. <laughs> oh, like a, a perfect day that's realistic or a perfect day like a dream world? Uh, like attainable perfect day? Obtainable perfect day. I don't want you like teleporting to Mars or something. <laughs> All right, okay, yeah, sorry. So I don't get like my pool and stuff like that. <laughs> um, perfect day. I'd wake up um, straight. So like... <laughs> Um, the baby comes into bed in the middle of the night sleeps sideways, knocks me out of bed and I'm genuinely normally hanging out the covers a little bit my leg will be freezing my uh, back will be all out she'll have a stiff neck so I'd like to wake up straight right. it's quite nice to wake up with the baby's head next to you I'll be honest with you okay. wake up with the baby and Amanda um, I'd have a shower good header um, and then Amanda would do the school run, but I'd stay in with the baby. Um, actually, do you know what? Yesterday was pretty good. Um, Hedy came to work with me, and we went, like, skateboarding together. That was quite nice. I had the morning with him. And then, um, yes, actually, yesterday was a mint day. And then um, I had the morning with him, kind of at work, filming, but also, like, hanging out with him. Um, and then Amanda picked him up. And then we had this big, like, focus at work, this big filming thing at work. And yeah, there's a real focus on standards and stuff like that. I had a really enjoyable day and everyone that ate in the restaurant last night had a great time and I buzzed so much off that. And I got home at a reasonable hour and I had a cup of tea, but I, oh, I had, um, there was some leftover Chinese food from like supermarket. <laughs> in my perfect day, I'd change that. And that would be doner kebab, chili sauce, garlic and chips, but it would be like about 10 minutes old and wrapped you know so it was like sweating within itself so the chips had soaked up the chilli sauce um, and for lunch I would have had roast chicken um, with iron brew and a, a pint glass with ice no parmas no no parmas disgusting <laughs> <laughs> alright cheers Michael nice one thanks so much man. Thanks.